Hello and welcome to episode 266 of the Random Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. I am Kevin. And I've got two words for you guys. Metroid Dread. Actually, there's more than that. There's Nickelodeon. There's Animal Crossing. There's Sora. There's Gang Beasts. There's GTA. There's Advance Wars. There's Switch Online. Oh my. But Metroid Dread is the namesake of the episode, um, which we're calling, and the Emmy goes to, not just because it's literally a game about avoiding Emmys as they go to you, but because it's a pun about an award, and it feels like this game's going to be winning some later this year, doesn't it? Like, it's it's a pretty good game, right? Definitely deserves um, some, sure. Yeah. So, so we're going to talk about Metroid Dread, and from there we have a whole host of fighting games that I think basically consumed your life, Angel, right? There's Nickelodeon All-Stars Brawl, there's Sora Drawing Smash, there's Gang Beasts, like I mentioned, plus we do have the Animal Crossing Direct, we do have Switch Online's pricing, we have some remake news, timestamps for all of that is over at the blog post at ramtown.com for this episode. Uh, but one thing I did notice is kind of weird is if you look at that list, like 99% of what we're talking about today is all happening in like a six-week stretch. It's like the holiday season came a month early or something. Or, I, Well, is it early? Let me ask you that. Because like I'm getting Best Buy Black Friday emails. Nintendo's gift guide was up like 10 days into October. When did the holiday start before Halloween? Like am I crazy or is that no- normal now? Uh, no uh... idea. Yeah, I can't say that's something I ever noticed when it started. You never noticed that, like, happened. when they're like, "Oh, look, snow and mittens and cocoa and and but Christmas they haven't lights seen these and like." Yet? Um, well, you spared then. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm gonna. I guess I'll just have to take your word for it, Jason. Well, when? Okay, let me ask you this then. When do you consider it to be like the holiday season, like Christmas time? Mm-hmm. November first is when the season starts for me. See, like, so why is everyone doing October? Because I agree. At least that Halloween but, but, have its moment. But what? why is everybody doing what in October already? Everyone's already promoting their holiday stuff. Like, it's already holiday sales and holiday gift guides and, like, Christmas decorations. Like, in October. Like, why? Capitalism, baby. Gotta get that money early. All right. that That's a good good answer. Um, Angel, when does it start for you? Because we're, like, on the cusp here. But apparently we're already in it, according to capitalism. Oh, yeah, I would also agree with, like, November 1st or just, like, November in general. Like, yeah, even though Thanksgiving is coming. What? I was saying, like, yeah, what is Nintendo doing? It is November 1st. We're all in agreement. And Thanksgiving counts. Like, I feel like around Thanksgiving, it used to be Black Friday was the tipping point. Oh, no, I know. Like, like, even though, like, Thanksgiving is coming, it just feels like holiday time. Especially because Black Friday usually is holiday gift shopping. Yeah. But... Like, who, I, I mean, I understand with chip shortage and stuff, like, people are buying stuff early to ensure they have it, but, like, I don't know. It's too early. I feel like it's so, like, Grinch curmudgeon right now, but it's too early is what I'm think, saying. But I am going to use this as a transition. It, it's a bad transition. That's never stopped me before, but I'm doing it. Here we go. If we're talking holidays, what better way to start than with a game that's a true gift? Metroid Dread. Pause for cringe. Okay. Let's go. Metroid Dread. Um, so who among us has actually beaten it already? Um, I have. Okay, yep, I have one. It. So that's two. Um, have you? I don't know why I phrased the question that way or counted that way because I guess I'm the only one that hasn't beaten it yet. Um, <laughs> but with the shocker. What? But with that in mind, um, it would probably make sense for you two since you've played the most of it to share your impressions. I mean, first, how much time have you put free. into it? I mean, it's what? like a five-hour game. No, it's five hours if you're good. Well, I mean, the dip. We'll get to the 
difficulty thing. But, like, it, it... If you're good at video games, it could be five hours. If you're bad at video games and whatnot, it could be longer. But, I mean, what do you guys think of it as a whole experience since you have beaten it? Spoiler-free for, for me, for my sake. I guess, um... Overall, I really enjoyed it. Um, I kind of wish it was a little more challenging. It's like I felt like I got... I don't know, I feel like I struggled in past 2D Metroid games a little more. Although, kind of looking back, like, thinking about Zero Mission, I kind of distinctly remember that one also being not too hard. I also remember Super Metroid being not too... Huh. I guess probably Metroid Fusion I probably thought was the toughest, but I haven't replayed it since I was a younger lad, so maybe... It wasn't as hard as I remembered. I don't know. Like, at most, I think I maybe die, like, a handful of times during a boss battle, but those are basically it, and not even all the bosses. But that aside, like, I I had a ton of fun with the game. Just, you know, really fun, creative boss battles. I loved exploring the areas. Um, Using the powers were great. And just, like, the way Samus feels just feels really, really Mm -hmm. good. Just, like, very tight controls extremely responsive like I, I never felt like i could blame the controls for something but yeah that's pretty much it overall. i feel like it's easier sometimes as i was say i feel like it's sometimes easy to get lost in the fact that they layer so many shoulder buttons on top of one another initially once you get the hang of it it's fine but like initially you're like, mean, okay you're doing the omega can you press this this shoulder then that shoulder then this face button then this shoulder again and you're like okay i sure there's enough I mean, buttons. I sure to I but. I'm sure it helped that it just came off of playing um, Samus Returns because the controls are pretty much identical, like down to the Aeon powers and that kind of stuff. Right. Except there's right. Dreamland in this one. Um, yeah, but otherwise, I I don't know if I would have had a different experience with the controllers if I hadn't. But how about you, Kevin? Because yeah. you did not come off Samus Returns <laughs> directly like he did. No, I didn't. Uh, now Metro Dread, I really really like it. It's definitely hard for me to say if it's my favorite 2D Metroid because it's been so long since I've played a 2D Metroid, you know? Fusion mm. being almost mm. 20 years old at this point, which was the last yeah. one that I played. And uh, I never, like you said, I never played Samus Returns on the 3DS. Uh, but, I mean, I definitely like it more than Super Metroid, which was always my favorite. I do have some problems with this game that I'm sure we'll get to. Like... I know for Angel it wasn't an issue, but the controls are yeah. one of my biggest gripes with this game. Um, and so a, a little other, some other little things, or well, one other big thing, and then a few little nitpicks. But aside from that, yeah, I, I couldn't stop putting it down every every waking moment. I was thinking about the game, so yeah, I would absolutely recommend it to anybody who's a fan of Metroidvania titles. Yeah, I, I like honestly one of the. Because, yeah, I had, the controls were kind of, not clumsy, but they're, they're yeah, they're a bit weird. But I think what overshadows it, kind of to your point, is just, like, it is a very, like, it it feels like such a good Metroid experience. I mean, like, one of my favorite aspects of the game has been just the atmosphere it creates. Like, you know, Metroid Prime, I think, is probably the pinnacle of that, just because you're in first-person perspective and your view is limited to, you know, um, what Samus, Samus's visor can show you. But for a side-scroller, like, Dread definitely, like, creates a vibe for itself. And especially... Not to like the whole like, oh, Switch OLED model, but honestly, like especially on the OLED model, like the crispness, the color contrast, the real blacks, it just, la la. it's this whole like dark moody experience. And especially I tried playing in a dark room just to like see. And because the colors pop so much and the blacks are so black, 
the black dot parts essentially fade away. So you literally just see like what's there, which really does help create kind of the mood. But I feel like one thing that a lot of people kind of, I wouldn't say overlooked, but something I haven't heard much about in like the Metroid discourse is the sound design in this game. Like the visuals have their cool moments, but I really feel like it's the ambient music, the Emmys, little chirps coming and going. Like all that really feels like what makes it kind of more of an experience. And really the Emmys in general, like I, I didn't expect them to be so visceral i guess like when i enter their areas like i do actually feel that looming sense of dread which you know they talked about at e3 and it kind of sounded like a marketing spiel like oh when you're being chased like the fear of being chased you're gonna feel so much dread but like honestly it i i noticed i was tensing up a bit like it, it it's really not that much more elaborate of a system than metroid fusion's sax the only difference is instead of being cutscenes where sax pops out it's you know certain designated areas where you have more of these emmys or whatever but like that's, for something so straightforward, it's so well done. That's you know? interesting because I thought the Emmys were the weakest part of the game. Really? Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, I I really like them, but I also like more action than exploration. I, general, I think the be... pre-release focus on the Emmys actually did this game a huge disservice, personally. Um, mm. Because I barely even used the cloak ability towards the last three or four. On top of that, the last Emmy, by then you have yeah. so many traversal abilities at your disposal that you can just blow right past it. Honestly, that last one, I didn't even see it in the Emmy zone until I had to confront it. Hmm. I wonder if part of it's the difficulty, because, you know, Angel was saying it's not particularly difficult. You're blowing past em- Emmys, but for me, like... You know, Mr... Uh, like the pinnacle gaming skills over here, skills with a Z over here, uh, I'm... I definitely have been dying a lot, like, mostly at the hand of bosses, uh, who can pack quite a wall up at times, but, um, also, like, just the Emmys in general, if I unsuccessfully dodge them, there's definitely, like, resets I've been doing with the Emmys, and I, what I guess surprised me is I sort of thought that I'd be like, oh, man, I'm dying a lot, this sucks, but, like, something about it, like, you know, dying five times, ten times over, whatever, I don't seem to have my motivation waning, and I think, when and I don't even remember necessarily... Sorry, was I Angel? No, I was like, when you get caught by the Emmys, do you try to counter them, or do you just kind of go like, I got caught, I guess I'm dead? No, I, I try to counter, but yeah, I don't know. One thing I read yeah. is some people are saying, don't use the Joy-Cons, use the Pro Controller for the ergonomics and for, um, you know, just in general. And I feel like I've been playing mostly in handheld, like I was saying, you know, in a dark room to try out the OLED screen. And I do wonder if on some level, some of my struggles or because it isn't as ergonomic so like when I go to reach like to dodge it or maybe I don't have the timing right or something while well, a few times I play on the TV I do I, I don't know but, Perhaps, but either way yeah, like I, never... I what? Oh, go for it. I was just going to say either way what I think actually surprised me the most is usually if I die a lot I'm just like yeah screw this but like something about this game is like it, I'm motivated to keep going I, I don't know if it's because like everyone's sharing their completion times and it's like oh this is doable like you know you said you it's like a five hour game like I've seen people do it in eight I'm like I can do this but I think also like the one thing it does pretty nicely and I don't remember if other Metroids do it but I know other Metroidvanias don't necessarily is when you do die you do not have to backtrack very much I mean obviously there's map backtracking in the game as a whole, but if you die, they do a very good job of putting you basically right back where you were. Like, you're right outside that pixelated door if you need to go deal with the Emmy again. You're a room away or two from a boss battle if you lose in a boss battle. So you never have to, like, do over very much, which really helps, even if it's harder, prevent it being, like, frustrating for me, you know? Like, that's something I actually really appreciate. And I don't remember if other Metroids did it, but I know other Metroidvanias definitely make you play over the same stuff a little more frequently. 
So that that's yeah. That's, well, yeah, they literally take you back to your last save point. Exactly. So. Yeah. Or which on the flip just, side might they'll be they'll just put you right outside the door that you just entered for whatever encounter yeah. killed you. Which is great because, like, and I feel like on some level, you know, for folks who want a ch- more challenging experience, being like, "Oh, I died and they didn't punish me," is almost detrimental. But for me, it's it's great. Um, but one frustration I did—I don't know if you guys experienced this actually—but some of the hidden blocks you need to destroy are almost like too hidden. Like, there's been a few times where I've gotten—I wouldn't say lost, but you know, you have to look around and figure out what to do. That's Metroid. But like. I think that the thing that's weird is some of the blocks, like, they have organic hints or whatever of this is destroyable, and then some of them don't. Like, what specifically comes to mind is when I first arrived on, was it Darren? Is that how you say Daron? However you say the planet that you take the train to, like, somewhat early on? Like, there's this room, a screen or two to the left, and in the top left corner of that room, you just hit a random block, and, oh, surprise, it's destroyable. But, like... The visual cue would have been nice. I don't know. I feel like sometimes I get lost unnecessarily because of that. And I know it's about exploration, but they do such a good job of sort of giving a guiding hand for a lot of it. Like, you know, when you do the thermals, it's you follow the thermal flow or this, that, or next thing, just like a cage flow, just be like, find the block. It could be anywhere. Good luck. Just feels, I don't know, a little weird. Like, did you guys have that experience at all, or am I just bad at identifying dark blocks? I had it just a little bit, for sure, uh, where I'd get okay. lost, and, and yeah. there were some blocks that... I just think to myself, how was I supposed to know that I was supposed to break that? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Unless it was done completely by accident. I don't know about you, Angel. I, I saw that you retweeted, or I think you commented on some tweet of uh, the oh, I think original I just... God of War creator talking about oh, it. Oh yeah, the the David Jaffe with the feeling thing. That that feeling in particular, I felt had a lot of visual cues because I mean you have like the enemy crawling upside down on it. And most of the time, you're not gonna hit, not gonna hit it completely. So you're gonna destroy well, the block behind it. But there's also enemies right behind that block as well. But either yeah, way, but um, like, with that, with that one in particular, I thought it was really weak. Whoever put the video together showed off for like the first six people that they just shot it by accident. Because one one thing that we haven't talked about is the parry in this game. Uh, a lot of people oh, like yeah. parrying, so. If I have the option to parry before shooting, I will do that. So I can understand somebody probably getting up there and waiting to parry that enemy and not actually shooting at it, you know? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. And, and to, to... Or go ahead. I feel, go ahead. And that's, like, definitely, like, just a part of Metroid. And I know, like, in the very beginning of the game, like, they straight up tell you, like, oh, shoot at everything because you don't know it's there. And, yeah, that's, that's not the best excuse either if you're not going to... Put something else. I mean, like they do have the enemy behind it, but at the same time, like you know, someone could just be reading the room and think, like, well, there's an enemy behind there, but there's also a wall, and I know my bullets can't go through wall, so maybe I'm not gonna bother shooting. But no, no, maybe that's what you kind of have to force yourself to break out of. The only time something like that happened to me in the whole game was um, there was a wall that I I think I would well. Actually, I don't remember if this is the case in that room with the ceiling, but throughout the game, if an area has, like, a hidden object or anything like that, it will start, like, you know, pulsating white on your map. And that just tells you that there's something hidden there. And Mm -hmm. if you know there's something hidden there, then you know, like, one of these walls or one of these blocks isn't going to be, I guess, a real wall. And I just remember, like, the way forward was, like, up this shaft where an Emmy used to be, and I shot the wall, but... 
I shot the one and I made a hole through it and I'm like, all right, cool. But I didn't have the morph ball at that time, so I couldn't go through the gap. But for some reason, and maybe this is just like the same reason why like some people got stuck in that ceiling, in that ceiling section, I decided to not try to shoot the rest of the wall. And, and I'll say that like for that one particular, I didn't even have to use like a, like a missile. I just shot like a regular bullet and it got destroyed. But for some reason, I didn't try shooting the rest of the wall to essentially clear out the entire wall. I just shot it once, and I was like, "Oh, can't fit through. I guess I'm gonna go a different way." Oh, and then, I as soon as like, I went, a, and as soon as I went a different way, I then realized, like, "Wait a minute! I should try shooting the rest of it." And then, sure enough, that was the way. But um, but other and than that, a, I but, that's an interesting it, thing you brought up about the map too. But finish your thought, and then I, I want to chime in on the map. But yeah, like obviously, like. For something like that in particular, like, if you're someone that's, like, specifically looking for context clues to proceed, and obviously this is not an, ex- I'm not making an excuse for the game, cause, you know, if you have really good game design theory, there should have been a better way for them to identify that the wall is breakable. Especially if it's part of, like, the main path you have to take. If it's, like, just for a secret, sure, keep it as hidden as possible. You have the pulsating mm-hmm. light anyway. But, typically when I'm playing a Metroid game, like, I'm literally running and shooting every single inch of everything whether there's something there or not. So even if there was, like, intention for me to, like, even if there was, like, a clue for me to hit something, I'm going to still ignore the clue anyway because I'm shooting everything regardless. Because that's just what's, what's what I do What's tough there is that there are, there are people who this will be their first Metroid. And oh, yeah. It's my first Metroid in 20 years, you know. It is not the same experience for someone that doesn't play Metroid games often versus someone that... Yeah, like it's playing for the, or even just get up their first one. Period. Like I, my experience yeah, is definitely not going to be comparable whatsoever to like what they experienced. So like for me, like I was saying, like oh, the difficulty wasn't that bad. Like I was kind of hoping the enemies would be a little deadlier. Like when I found out, or when I learned, just like by playing it, that you have two opportunities to counter them. After that, it was pretty much over. Like if I got wait, caught, there's two. Yeah, there's two. Yeah, like there's the, when you yeah when they get grabbed. And then, and then there's the second right one they wind up it to stabs hit. you. Oh, I yeah, wonder why it lingered there, and I stupidly never tried to counter a second time. Like, cause they do, it does pause. You're right. I never thought about that. I was yeah. like, oh, I want to say like, effect. and once after I learned that, like, I want to say like ninety percent of the time, like, I was able to get out of like an Emmy grass. So just getting caught. Oh, no by an wonder, no wonder the Emmys hit different for you guys. That makes sense. Yeah, like it just wasn't even like like oh I got grabbed. Oh, okay, cool. No, like, I mean just, that's not the entire reason. But, but part, I'm sure having a second chance at every single one helps with making oh, it no, less because, daunting. Because yeah. Me personally, if, if I can... never, I, there was like two times where I hit him on the second chance. If, if I, mm, okay. if I missed the first one, the second one would always get me 99% of the time. Yeah. Right. And to their benefit, like they actually randomized. It's not like consistent, like when the counter opportunity happens. Oh yeah. Like, the, they the always it up. different the entire time. Yeah. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's faster, sometimes it's slower, but it's always like you hear the cue. So you kind of just want to almost like ignore the screen a little and just like, just keep your ears alert, I guess. And the moment you hear right. it, you just counter. Rhythm but, yeah, just changing that, it's uh, really tough for people <laughs> like me that don't play with the sound. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, 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 and but yeah, so fair, you can see, like, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess if you hit the map, it's a little really more good in the game. Like, you know, I mentioned there's kind of a guiding hand on screen as you're exploring, but also like the map, the flashing visual cue, the marker system, like all that's pretty good for someone who maybe is newer to the series. Oh, I never used the marker system. Years. Did you, Angel? Um, Me neither. 
No. I didn't yeah, use I it thought, a ton. I, I kept one. Kind of like, kept... useless considering the amount of yeah. icons. And they look so similar to like some other icons that you get later on. Yeah, like the game. elevator one. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's what like, what Jesus. I found it useful for was I was there hoping was a to find a use for them, like, but yeah. There are a couple times where you have to like, you know, you go turn a knob or do a thing and then like, oh, the lava lowers in a room. And what room was it? It's the room right below where you are. But you have to like snake around to get to it. So sometimes like I would just throw a marker on it to be like, oh, in case I get sidetracked or find another door or a secret, I'll at least know where I need to get back to. But that's uh, it. Like I don't use it for a lot. Yeah, I mean, I mean if the option was there. Yeah, at least the option yeah. was there. You know what? Yeah, which is the nice. But the hmm. – what option no, go ahead. wasn't what there? Um. I just want to get my biggest crap out of the way with this game. Yeah, 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 for sure. That's what we're here for. <laughs> um, and this isn't even necessarily an exclusive gripe for this game. But um, I can't believe how it's still 2021 and console games still won't let you remap button layouts in-game. That would be so nice for some of the weird shoulder button combos you have to do in this. Yeah, because like by... By the end of the game, some some uh, obstacles will require you to press three buttons and then still use the joystick. How do so you being able fingers? to to get that uh, like a little <laughs> bit more comfortable would be really fun. I think the thing that throws me off is like, for the most part, they have enough buttons to not have you press multiple buttons. You know, like the fact that if you want to shoot a missile. You you basically hit three different buttons to be able to custom aim a missile with your reticle. Like that seems yeah. like it could at least be two, maybe even one if you want to be real crazy. But uh, yeah, just like yeah, the, I don't know. Uh, like that that's just a little strange. Instead. Yeah, like I mean, they have like the toggle to turn on the missile, but then you still have to do like the other two in tandem. It's just like why why? <laughs> but but yeah, custom map controls would be nice. More games are doing it. I feel like, but for something like this, it would be really. I nice. I I cannot remember the last time a console game let me customize the the button layout in game weirdly enough if i remember correctly i don't remember if it was customizable or just a, ma- a layout but monkey ball had a whole controls menu the banana mania the new okay yeah but okay. And, and you know that's the pinnacle of you need custom controls is monkey ball but yeah it's it's i feel like in games where they're trying harder to appeal to as many people as possible like monkey mania or banana mania where they were like trying bring in new fans and do the old and have like helper but like advanced difficulty stuff that's popping up more. I think Cruise and Blast might also do it, if I remember correctly, but I'm not sure. But yes, generally, I, I agree 100%. And, and that's the kind of thing, like, I feel like a lot of what we're talking about, like, we're like, oh, it's a good game, and then we proceeded to talk about, like, 10 or 15 minutes about all the flaws with it, but these are all relatively small. Like, custom controls would be nice, but obviously you guys played through it and had fun without it. Like, the hidden blocks would be nice if maybe on the map, along with marking when there's a hidden item, if there's just a hidden block to get to the next room... Maybe that could be Mark Two. Just saying, but like for the most part. To be fair, though, it is there is game. an ability mm. you get um, early-ish where uh, probably about halfway, just like, halfway through. Yeah, the one, the one that pretty much, yeah, you know, just like pretty much just straight up tells you what yeah. all the where all the hidden blocks are. Like it's like that, literally that a radar. Like, that seems like I mean it's great, but that seems like that should be there as soon as they introduce hidden blocks. Because how you find those blocks in the interim if you're a newer player like Kevin was because saying, because because you know, once you get it. Because once you get it, it pretty much um, negates any, I guess, hidden hiddenness of it. It's like if you're not sure where to go, where to explore, you just use it, and then suddenly the entire screen is pulsating. Like, oh, here is the path. Oh, so, yeah, but you know, I also, yeah. but I also feel like that is sort of like an easy out for them to do. 
You know, I, yeah. I, it would kind of make sense if up to that point, or like if they throw that a little bit earlier in the game, and up to that point there wasn't really any hidden blocks, or like, not that there isn't any hidden blocks, but like some of the more trickier hidden blocks that you have to discover, um, and then you get it, and then it's like, oh, now you really have to use that ability to see where everything's at. It is mm-hmm. kind of messed uh, that uh, that it's that you get it like forty to fifty percent of the way through the game. Yeah, because there's still that first chunk where you're like, what if you're newer or just like me and don't see him blocks? Yeah, but but it, it, I will say though, like obviously the blocking's kind of and eh, the controls can be a little whatever, but like. I think Angel kind of touched on this. You, Samus just controls really well. Like, I yes, just feel it's cool. incredible. Like, sliding under enemies. Right. Like, feels yeah, so good. Her sense of speed so is great. Good. Yeah. And, like, you know, as you start getting more abilities where you do even go faster and things like that. Yeah. It's, and, you know, screw attacks and all that. Like, it just, it feels right. Like, they really nailed the feeling, which I guess goes hand in hand with nailing the atmosphere, like I was saying before. But, yeah, I'm just. Even, you know, the reticle system, which I know came in with Santa's Returns, but, like, I can't imagine a Metro game without it anymore. Like, it's just such, it feels like such a key part. Like, it's it, they just really did a good job overall. With how how far into the, the game are you, Jason? I'm on the f- fourth or fifth, like, place okay. you go to. Gotcha. <laughs> I forgot which planet because the name's kind of blurred. Like, I had to write down Darren or Diron, whatever it's called, in order to make my point about the hidden block. Because all the names kind of wash together if you don't, like, pay that much attention because they never actually say you are now at this place it's just like on the corner of the map so i'm on the fourth or fifth whatever it's called yeah gotcha, so gotcha, i'm like gotcha. what like halfway ish kind of uh fourth or fifth yeah uh, i'd say you're actually about like 60 percent of the way there then i should okay i probably am not at fifth because i should then have the path identifier so i must be at the fourth but okay yeah yeah but yeah, no, I'm 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 actually think I'm gonna go back and do it because that's the, that's the thing is like I'm making these little nitpicks about like oh I wish I could find hidden blocks and this and that and next thing but like all they're really doing is running up my playtime clock like I'm not finding the trial and error to be that frustrating it's just in a game where they do so much right these things just almost stand out more as like little nitpicks that they can fix which they won't obviously but you know that should have been maybe addressed differently or whatever but yeah like I'm having a really good time with it which I think I'm further in this one or I think this will be my first Metroid I beat in the end because I think Fusion I dropped Ooh. off like halfway through, but I was also like 14. So, and Prime came out the same day, but yeah. yeah. Um, um, but if you guys have gotten to the, if you guys have gotten to the end of the game, I assume that means you saw the credits then, right? You mean uh, yeah. the lack thereof? Okay, because there's I'm just like, kidding, there were some, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, what was left of them. Because, yeah, that, I, that, I feel like at. if we're talking about things Mercury oh, did wrong, okay. right? Like, if we're talking about the issues with the game, like, the game is great. Like, if you like Metroid, you'll like the game. I mean, it's a fact that you said it was better than Super Metroid in your opinion. That, that's high praise. But if we're nitpicking the things that went wrong, I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with what happened. But essentially, some staff from Mercury's team have claimed that they didn't make it into the game's credit after they left the uh, studio, like, mid-development or whatever. And Mercury's team's response amounted to, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, tough, they've got to be involved in at least a quarter of the entire dev time of the project. If they're not, they get zero credit, which is... Is that crazy? That feels crazy. Like It, it is crazy. Work on something, <laughs> you should get credit. Yeah, and yeah. this isn't necessarily just an exclusive... This this isn't an exclusive thing for just for Breaker's thing. No, it no. This is like industry. This is an industry wide problem. 
and it's so like, like I think what's so off putting about and it's it. It's so easy just to put you, their name in the in yeah. a list of credits, you know. Yeah, it feels like one of those weird like game industry secrecy things that's just so unnecessary. Like the game industry is so obsessed with this concept of secrecy that they'd very rather you know literally bury a person's work than possibly reveal that someone that worked on game X is now doing a project at company Y or whatever. And like, and I'm sure on some level it's also like a little pettiness about oh you didn't stick it out. But either way, like if you contrast that with like the movie industry, where the second there's like a director, or a writer, or a producer tied to a project, it's shouted from high heaven. Or like in the music industry, where it doesn't matter how many people are working on a song or album, if you're in the studio and you say like, "Hey, change that note from like an A to a B," or like add this word to the lyrics, you're in the credits. Like you're right there in the songwriter credits. It's just so weird that gaming's like, oh, everything's gotta be hush hush because like gamers can't possibly know what's going on. Like. Yeah, it's fine. Like, give them the credit. It it doesn't make sense. It's it's dumb. <laughs> I mean, Andrew, I'm sure you have thoughts because you're like in the industry. No, yeah, that that really sucks. Cause I saw like a couple of posts like from animators just saying how like like oh yeah, the scene over here. Like, I worked on the scene, but you know they have like no credit for it. And like, I feel that sucks a lot because like I feel like the cinematics or the way like a lot of the story was delivered just looked really cool and was really well done. So just kind of weird that one of the most like one of the best parts of the game was uncredited for the most part. Mm-hmm. Which, damn, yeah, like, I mean, damn, those, those boss intros and all that stuff, I mean... Damn. Like, imagine yeah, the that, that's really where the where game comes to you're life, You're showing, too. like, your parents, like, here, all my name's coming up right now, and then you don't see it. Like, that yeah, that's really if you're playing for a job, like, like be... they literally have to take their word for it that they worked on that game, even just, like, from, like, a simple resume point of view. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. credited? No? All right. Did they get an and, online credit? I don't know. I know there's somewhere where I, there's like I, a database where, or, or I don't know if people, if that's like a wiki kind of situation where people just like grab all the credits listed in a game and that's just like, with I, mean, online, I think it's called like Blue Whale or something. I'm sure, but, I'm sure that if this, per, if one of the uncredited people is trying to get a job at another uh, dev studio, and then they called up Mercury's team. I'm sure Mercury's team would tell them, yeah, he worked here for four months on Metroid Dread. But, I mean, it's the still nice to have, to have the credit. That. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's dumb. And I, I do, I get the impression that Nintendo, like, they don't have a direct hand. They don't own Mercury's team. They don't, you know, they can't, I mean, I guess they could mandate because they paid for the game. But, like, I feel like they were probably unaware because they, Nintendo seems to be pretty good about being inclusive with their dev teams and involvement of everyone on a project. But, like, Generally, yeah, this is an industry practice that just sucks. Like, I don't know. Like, I know, like, in the movie industry, like, sometimes animation studios have similar issues. But generally, in movie contracts, um, or when you join a studio, it's outlined in your contract exactly what you want your credit to be. Like, you fill in what you want your credit and name to be. And the fact that, like, some studios are able to sidestep that is just, eh, it's just, it's not treating their employees with respect, you know? Yeah. But... But I guess to end Changing. our... Yeah, shame oh, on... Oh, I am not talking about this game. Oh, I, I uh, okay, go. I was going to end it on a positive note, but go for it. If you have more, by all means. Uh, We barely touched upon it, but I think... I And I, like, once again, I had to play Samus Returns, but the parry, I love the parry. <laughs> I love how pretty much every enemy, with the exception of, like, the bosses and the mini-bosses, it's just a one-hit kill. And it's just so yeah, satisfying every time to nail it. And those crazy bastards at Mercury's team just know how to raise your endorphins because when you do a successful parry, the camera just punches in right in right before you nail yeah. it with the blast shot. It, um, it the game, if nothing else, just makes you feel badass. 
<laughs> like when you're not trying to find yeah, hidden blocks, absolutely. you just feel badass. It's so it and for Nintendo, like it's so different in vibe than any other game they do that it really the fact that it's now getting more attention and sort of taking off a little, it's like really yeah. it's good. I, I, it's great. I love how yeah, just absolute and not only that, it makes you feel like a badass, but it, it's mainly because Samus is quite the badass in this game. Oh, totally. Yeah. She's she's awesome. Um this one might just be for me. I don't know about you guys, but I loved painting every square of the map. Just like trying to wall bounce at oh, the right time just to I, fill I, in that little tiny gap early on in the game. Yeah, and I know what you mean. Um yeah, I I, I definitely do that too cuz it's really annoying when you're like going through when you're looking at the map and it's just like a weird mess of Yeah, it's like two trails and then yeah, eventually you have like six yeah. different colors on the map. Uh and with it's just space jumps, you're pretty much just yeah, yeah, yeah you're painting yeah, the whole as, thing. As as soon as it's funny because I my final end time was 15 hours, and it was mainly because of yeah, of trying to paint in every everything that I could. Um, but yeah, as soon as you get the space jump, it pretty much all that time that you wasted it goes out the window because with space jump you just cover everything. <laughs> I, uh, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm gonna have a similar runtime, but not for that reason. I haven't really done that, which maybe I should, because maybe it'll make it, the map easier for me to find stuff, but. Yeah. yeah for me, it's just if, a trial if, and error. If there, if there was a couple more things, uh, I, I wish that the game was a little bit more challenging, like the boss fights specifically. It only takes you maybe one or two, like, tries every phase to learn the pattern recognition, because by the time that I finally would finish the boss, I would get hit maybe once or twice. Oh, yeah, especially, like, that... Yeah, go go for it. Oh, no, yeah, I was going to say, like, especially that final boss, like, it was cool without saying, like, much, but, like, by the time, like, I finished the... Yeah, well, I guess by the time I beat it, I felt like I was, like, uh... Like, oh, man, did I, like, master the speedrunning version of this? Because, like, I just literally didn't get hit, and, like, I would, like, trigger, like, the next phase, like, super fast, and it just felt like... Okay, yeah. Like, uh, like it could have been this easy. The first phase of that boss, I would breeze like no problem. It it was the second phase that got me because it requires you to do the space jump, and mm. sometimes the space jump doesn't work correctly where you won't get that second yeah, bounce. It, yeah, it depends on whether you're jumping straight up or jumping forward, basically. Yeah, because you either get it's, uh, very yeah. annoying, and so that that causes and, and a lot a, of that's deaths. That's a metric for me. thing for sure. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, yeah, even the final boss, like it's like Angel said, it's very cool. But I just wish that they were a little bit more cha- or a little bit, not necessarily a little bit more challenging, but a little bit more um, random, a little bit more. Yeah, what's the word? It almost like I'm, I'm, I'm very. They, they, they the just needed like another attack or two. <laughs> another attack or two, and just have they, them mix it up a little bit. Some more varied. Yeah, 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 a little bit more varied. Yeah, but aside from I would that, say though, I am glad that it's pretty good. I'm glad um, the game didn't lean into, I guess, a lot of reuse tracks, if any, because yeah, I I mean, I love Magmore Carvins as much as the next person, but I feel like every 2D Metroid I've played that has a lava area always uses Magmore Carvins or caverns. I don't know why I call it carvins. Cabin. And yeah, so like it was just kind of cool just hearing like, oh, cool! I don't have to hear this song for like the millionth time. But 
that being said, I don't think I remember any of the tracks. Like usually, it's there's like at least one or two tracks that melodic. Yeah, yeah. Because usually there's like a track or two like from every Metroid game that I'll remember, even if it's like a new Metroid game. But you know, this one didn't really. Yeah, I guess they didn't really try to create any kind of like super catchy melody. Mm-hmm. Like the music was just, it was several though, it wasn't bad at any point, but yeah, I guess this wasn't memorable is another way to put it. But yeah. I feel like it kinda of goes back to what I was saying where like the sound design was good, which is different than the composition of music. But like it it seems yeah. like because they put such an emphasis on like the little Emmy chirps and things like that, like they music sort of stepped back a little to allow the sound effects and design to come through. Whether that's a good choice or not, I don't know. But that seems to be kinda of what happened. Uh the Jason and yes. But, <laughs> but um, was there anything else you guys want to touch on with Dread? Uh, that's pretty I much wish it. the completion bonuses were better. <laughs> Not that they're bad. I mean, I don't really want to spoil what they are, but I was kind of hoping. Oh, I know I what you're talking about. Yeah, when I, when you first beat the game and you get a a little reward, yeah. I was just thinking, wait, what? Yeah, and then you don't even get like different ending types depending on how fast you beat or anything it's just the reward changes but the reward itself is more like i don't know it's weird i, I if anything Very like i thought I, I, I thought the reward for getting all the items would have been what you get like for finishing the game i don't know it, but let, even let and even if that this. was the case like i feel like that wouldn't have been still as satisfying ranked against what you get when you collect all the korok seeds in breath of the wild are we talking better or worse than that I mean, obviously better, but okay. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. Better. I mean, it's a, now we know the baseline. Even, yeah. yeah. Also, very super weird that they don't have a new game plus. I feel like at this day and age, a game like this would give you a new game plus that gives you because you do unlock a hard mode, but you don't start with your abilities. <laughs> I guess because the game is super short, it's definitely designed around speed running, and seeing like what people have come up with already is ridiculous. Like how people are yeah, getting like, like the gravity suit super early and all that stuff. Uh-huh. But, yeah, because, I mean, I would love to, I mean, yeah, if if you if you beat the game, then you know that, like, towards the end, things get a little nutty with what you can do. And I was going to kind of wish, like, oh, I wish I could just, like, play with this, even though it would, like, definitely break it. It would just be really fun just to, like, mess around with it. But, yeah. Hopefully yeah. That makes I sense mean, it's, it's possible, <laughs> although it feels unlikely that they might do DLC where they add a new game plus or something, because... Metroid is one of the few games that Nintendo hasn't announced any post-game support for, and given how well it seems to be doing, I mean, this is this is like it's it's the fastest, highest-grossing Metroid game in chart history in the UK, surpassing Metroid Prime off physical revenue alone, not including you know the um, eShop sales in Japan. It's already like two weeks out, or no, I think it was within three days. It almost surpassed every other Metroid game sales. So, like, clearly, like, the Switch bump is alive and well here. And, you know, for a franchise like this that Nintendo's neglected, it's great. But it also means that a big open hole to shove some DLC into where you can actually get some money out of. So, maybe they'll add it. Maybe, you know, I mean, it took Animal Crossing 18 months to get a serious update. Maybe, maybe it's coming in, like, 9, 10 months. Maybe not, but I'm, I'm just saying I wouldn't totally rule it out. It is weird it's not baked in, but I wouldn't totally rule it out just yet. Yeah, I'm not sure how they would... Uh, add DLC to this game, but well, just in terms of like the new game ending, plus, but... 
Oh, okay. oh yeah, new yeah. game plus speed. Yeah. Cool. Like oh, stuff I like that. You meant yeah. like more maps, stuff like that. Oh no, no, no. I you're, literally you're meant like they can more... add the stuff you're talking about, like new game plus or other options or modes. You know, they can either be post release for free, like half a mail crossings update, or it could be like for a couple bucks. Oh yeah, yeah. Modes. Oh that yeah, that I can absolutely uh, see them adding for sure. Yeah, and like especially because like a little bit more in the. Uh, Oh, story-wise. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I, I haven't heard what happens in the end. I, I'm not trying to spoil that, but I do know this is the end of the 2D saga in the, in a sense. So, or so. Or the Metroid saga, as they put it. Yeah. Because I, I yeah. would, I would love another, another one of these. My Breakers team, for sure. And again, I think, you know, I was rattling off how well I guess it could remake part four. Yeah, it seems like this is opening the door for Metroid to have a bigger moment. I mean, the fact that's, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love or, to or just make them available so more people could play it. Yes, yeah. yes, because right now Zero Mission and Fusion really tough to to play. Not if and you're if you an don't ambassador. have a 3DS, uh, Samus Returns <laughs> is uh, like a non-starter because well, I don't have a 3DS you know anymore. You know what's funny is um, if you go to the Wii U eShop, all the top selling games right now are just variations of the Metroid you can buy on there because that's like the only place you can get Fusion. Yeah, that makes sense. Or you can yeah, get Zero but Mission so like people are literally Fusion, busting right? out their Wii U's and going and downloading Fusion just so they can like get the full saga. And it's a crazy miss on Nintendo's part that they did not find a way, even if it was just selling it in the eShop on Switch, independent of Switch Online. The fact that they did not find a way to let people sort of understand what's going on in a franchise that's been dead for like seventeen years is crazy to me. They left so much money on the table. Hey, yeah, it's mind boggling, honestly, but yeah, maybe they'll come around. And again, maybe because the switch bump is clearly working here with Metroid, maybe that opens the door to a Metroid Fusion remake, or they do add it, or you know, there's so many different avenues they can go down now. But it's crazy that they waited to see. Besides, like trying to get people up to speed up front, but yeah, yeah, yeah it's great though. It's, that, it's awesome I'm... to see the franchise back. Yep, super happy. And uh, Metroid Prime Four, it's right around the corner, you know. Yeah, twenty twenty is X. <laughs> yeah, it's a that corner is a mile away from where we're standing, but but you know it used to be seven miles, so we're getting closer. It's yeah, like one exactly. of those blocks where it's like, oh, how long is that block? Is it like a city block, like an like a New York City block, like a normal city block, and it, you know, it's all, a corner can be very long. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's uh, although we are you know um, kind of already talking about like fan enthusiasm stuff with you know Metroid having this moment. So I feel like since we're kind of wrapping up, Dre, we should just real quick, and it segues us nicely into Nickelodeon All-Stars Brawl, but we should real quick touch on Sora and Smash Bros. again. Obviously, last episode, we spent a good deal of time covering what we thought of Sora as an idea. He's here. He's an actual fighter. He's playable. Angel, have you messed with him much? I have to imagine you have. You make it sound, you make it sound like we're, we're talking about Sora like as an idea, like as if he's some sort of religion. Like, yeah. oh yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, the way some people reacted to him being announced. Yeah, true. He kind of, it was kind of like a second coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. Angel, how actually you like had him in the trailer come out, like laying yeah, down, literally. You know, his arms extended out, like, like if he was crucified. I know, and all the characters like true, looking but... up at him in awe. And like you yeah, just need some like yeah. angelic is, is music, and it was Jesus. You're right. He is Jesus. He is Smash Bros. Jesus. And he came back to enlighten the world. <laughs> but um, yeah, Angel, how do you like him? Because I imagine you put more time to him than I probably ever will. I'm pretty sure you put more time into playing as Sora than I did. Really, you didn't like actually um, put him through his paces. 
Uh, only just a little bit, just to see what he felt like, but I didn't really have much interest in playing as Sora. I had definitely just had more interest in playing against Sora, just to mm. see what that's going to be like. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't really play Kingdom Hearts, um, so the character itself means nothing to me. Right. Um, I can appreciate his inclusion. It's definitely, like we said last time, it's like, it felt like it's definitely a big deal. You're telling uh, me that I didn't sell you on playing the series? <laughs> uh, uh, not quite. If anything, you, you know what's good. funny about that, <laughs> Kevin? That whole maybe I should do roll. it the worst, the worst way that I can, so that no one ever touches the series. <laughs> <laughs> that that whole rigmarole we went through last episode, where we were like listing off each cloud game and what it came with and everything. Now Square Enix just throw a wrench in it, saying, "Oh, the 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 um earlier games might actually get a physical release after all." So now there's another layer of in- oh, insanity. Oh boy. If it does, <laughs> they aren't confirming it. They release. just said it's not. It's not set in stone or something like that. So, okay, here we go. If if it does get a, a physical release, I might actually pick it up. At this point, you know how some people have bought Resident Evil Four like eight different times. Yeah, if oh, I man. buy that Skyrim. physical release or Skyrim, this will be my fifth or sixth time buying the first game. Damn. I mean, you gotta catch them all at some point, right? Like you have so many already. The first, uh, and just to be clear, the first absolutely fantastic. It, right, mm. right before the, you know, the show gets wild, it's a, it's a very good game. Even, like the second game is fantastic as well. Uh, that's where they introduce a bunch of the lore, and that's where you could probably stop if you want. <laughs> I don't know why I'm always so entertained by you dissing Kingdom. Maybe because I know you're such a big fan, and at the same time, like you hate it so much. It's just, it's very entertaining, Kevin. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I personally haven't had a I I did not have time to put into Sora uh, at all, so I will be looking forward to that. Yeah, do you? Yeah, yeah, you don't really do much with Smash in general, though. So that right? Yeah, I I don't. But uh, yeah, if there's any characters that are absolutely going to get me to play, it's a uh, weird anime heroes. <laughs> fair, fair. But um, but I guess Angel, back to you because I think we we got we kind of got on a tangent. You're you were talking about the experience of Sora or going against Sora, maybe. Yeah. So like, what little time I spent with Sora, like definitely told me right away that like even if I mean, not being attached to a character has never stopped me from having fun with the character or like trying to use them as a primary. Like I've done that with Ike, and I could care less about Fire Emblem. I mean, Rob is one of my favorite characters to use, and I didn't necessarily have any nostalgia for Rob. If anything, all my adoration for Rob comes from, like, Brawl and Smash yeah. 4. But, yeah, just the way he feels, he's just an extremely floaty character. He's also another one of those characters that has a really, really high and weird second jump. Kind of like Mewtwo, Ness, and, oh, especially Kazuya. If anything, more like Kazuya. Like, they just keep going up and up, and it's it's weird. And I... Typically, don't really like characters with like a f- extremely high floaty jump, but he's so just playing floaty. against them. <laughs> like, yeah, like even like even... the shoe, his giant shoes have to be filled with helium. Like he's so floaty. Like it's, even I was like, wow. And I usually don't. I mean, that, that would be bother. very keeping in line with the character for sure, though, because he's very floaty in those games. Hmm. So I guess it's uh, just oh, a yeah. fan service. <laughs> yeah, and it's definitely a testament to like. I mean, even though I haven't played Kingdom Hearts, I've seen plenty of footage. And whenever he's like doing his like aerial combos, it almost looks like damn. It looks like a two D version of like Kingdom Hearts that he's playing. It's just really cool. But yeah. um, but yeah, like he is surprisingly straightforward. Like I didn't feel like super limited when I was 
playing him or everyone that I played against just seemed to like start doing broken stuff like really fast. And not that he's like a broken character. Um, he's definitely not a Bayonetta or anything. Like he feels pretty fair to fight against. Like I don't have any anything big to complain about. Except maybe just the fact that you can't win by just knocking him off the stage. Like you have to kill him straight out. Because they decided to give him like all the recoveries ever so he can basically come back from anywhere. Like I literally... Like Jesus. I beat a Sora. Just saying. <laughs> like I side beat a Sora with Bowser, which you know, like he does like a wrestling style slam where he like jumps with you and power drives you. And I did that off stage and I went to the furthest corner you can go. And Bowser always dies first, giving the opponent, like, a chance to recover. And even from the furthest bottom left corner, like, where you were, like, a little blip on the screen, he still managed to double jump, up B, and do, like, three of those side B targeting things that he does, and made it back to stage. So it's like, yeah, the Sora guy. <laughs> but, you know, he's also super light, so it's not like it takes much to just outright kill him anyway. But, yeah, tricky, think... tricky character. I think on the other end, though, like, he might be tricky to play against, but on the other end, playing as him. Like, I'm sticking to what I suspected when we talked about him last time, which he does feel kind of, to play as, back to basics. Like, I know he has deeper combos, and I know his neutral B does, like, three different elements that you can summon, you know, fire, electricity, ice, but those are in a set pattern, and, like, I don't know, everything about him just seems, like, more normal and pick up and play without needing to, like, learn much. Like, there's no randomizing second menu, there's no special charge-up, there's no block building and breaking. Like, it's just, here's a dude with a sword that happens to look like a key that happened to require a lot of Disney lawyers to make happen. But he is definitely more accessible than some of the other DLC fighters, which is kind of, in a weird way, like a nice bookend for the roster. Like, if he was in the middle of the pack, I feel like he'd be like, oh, he's kind of boring. But having it kind of come full circle and go back to, like, this is what the basics of Smash Bros. are and here's a character fans wanted kind of applied to that while still doing fan service kind of felt like the right sweet spot, if that makes sense. But, but yeah, he's... he's I don't yeah, know if I'd I use agree. him as a regular character, but he... Because he's so floaty. But, um... Like, it works. Like, in my opinion, like, it, it was a good oh. final fighter. It kind of feels like it's reminding so everyone... Is safe for now? What? Yeah, Toon so Link, Toon is, Link safer is safer now. Now. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, it, I mean, I enjoy it. Like, it, it's funny because I like him more than a lot of the other DLC characters, in part because he is has that accessibility, and it's just easy to, like, get into and, and just play. But I also play Smash way more casually than someone like you. So for, like, a fan, there's, like, mass appeal thing, Sora makes a lot of sense that he plays like this. For, you know, playing competitively, I can see that he probably has some pitfalls. And he's so floaty. Can't emphasize that enough. So yep. floaty. <laughs> I mean, but then, I mean, but then the thing is, like, personally, would I want him to be the last character? I don't know. Like the Waluigi thing. I feel like Waluigi should have gotten in on some level, and he would have been equally like simple in a way to control and accessible. But I guess for fans or reasons, okay, I'll I'll take Waluigi Sometimes. having a vampire costume in Mario Kart Tour as my new Waluigi thing. He wears a cape and a top hat. But, uh, yeah, for, for Smash, I get why they did Sora how they did and how he controlled, and I'm totally fine with that. And sometimes it isn't just that simple and clean. No. Oh, nice. See what you did there. Beautiful. Um, Angel, just keep the ball rolling. You're, you're clearly on a roll with your wittiness there. So we were talking Smash briefly, but you've been playing another game kind of like Smash, but with other franchises, uh, Nickelodeon, All-Stars Brawl. Do you have a pun to kick that one off with? Um, no. Well, 
That's a bummer. Yeah, this game is <laughs> very weird. Um, I mean, you can go into it thinking like, oh, it's just like a Smash clone. And it's definitely going to fall more into the just inspired by Smash. You could definitely say heavily inspired, but man, this game heavily is... Heavily inspired by one game in the series, right? Oh, it's Melee. Of, cause it's it, Melee, right? Yeah, it, it, definitely t- yeah. it definitely takes a lot from... It definitely takes... A lot from Melee, mainly just in the speed. But if anything, I would say it takes more from, like, traditional fighting games. Mainly, like, Marvel vs. Capcom 3. It feels really? like that's, like, the game that it takes from uh, the most. So PlayStation All-Star Battle Royale. <laughs> Basically. I guess that's why it's but, All-Stars um, in the name. Hmm. But, yeah, this game, um... Essentially, you know, like Smash Brothers, it's a platform fighter... Knock the opponent off the stage, keep him from coming back to win. That's pretty much like where the similarities end. Um, because unlike Smash Brothers, who uses one main attack button and one special button, this game uses a main attack button, a strong attack button, and you also have the special button. But unlike Smash Brothers, where you have like, you know, a, a standing jab, a tilt attack, and a smash attack, you just map to your A button. Um, in PlayStation All Stars, you just have your jab button and your tilt do the same thing. Like, you get the same attack whether you're tilting the analog stick or just pressing it outright normally. So, and there is no, you know, smash attack map to that button. So, no matter how hard you smash or anything, your A in the ground is going to do the same thing, no matter what you do. Um, but, you know, you also have your up tilt, your down tilt. The air is where it gets a little weird because your neutral air, you know, just A while in the air, forward air and back air are also all the same move. So, like, what would be three moves in Smash Bros. In Smash Brothers, is one move in this game. But, besides having your up air and down air. But in addition to that, you have that strong move that I mentioned. In which case, you have... A strong move is basically what would be your smash attack in Smash Brothers. But, it's mapped to its own button. And you obviously have three different directions of them. Up, down, left, and right. But you also have that in the air, which you don't have in Smash Brothers. So, in the way you... Not even in a way, so you literally have one extra move in the air than you would in Smash Brothers. And it makes, it definitely, it definitely takes some time getting used to. Because, like, fighting that muscle memory of trying to play this game like Smash Brothers is going to really hurt. Because I can't tell you how many times I've tried to smash the stick to no avail. Or how many times I keep forgetting to use my strong attack because it's mapped to a different button. And you even have a strafe button where you can just, like, hold it down and you're still facing the same direction as if you were a Ryu or a Ken, like in Smash Brothers. But, yeah, I would think it used to, like, in Stress 2 makes sense. Like, it's really, really fun. And that's kind of the thing worth where I'm at with this game. After seeing what high-level play looks like, or just watching my brother play, um, yeah, I this is a game that I'm probably never going to be that great at. Because you need to be inputting so many buttons. It's like... Like, I, what I like about Smash Brothers, or Ultimate for that matter, is that it feels like I can actually keep pace with everything that's happening in the game. Um, there's no real canceling of moves into other moves, or crazy mobility options that most people just kind of run. But in this game, geez, like you're either wave dashing the whole time, or you're jump attack, drop down dashing, jump attack, drop down dashing, and everything cancels into everything, so... It's kind of cool in the sense that, like, people can literally create random combos on the fly. Like, if you think it's going to connect, it will connect. And 
because of that, and because combos can be so long, and you pretty much every character in the roster can get a zero to death. Like they could just combo you until the edge of the stage and kill you. But pulling that off is a lot harder than it looks as well because you know, many inputs per second, you mess one thing up, then they're gonna fall out of your combo. And they're also able to DI, you know, change the influence the direction. Directional influence, that's what DI means stands for. You can influence the direction of where you're flying just by holding the stick either left or right. And unless like your opponent is reading your mind and knowing exactly what direction you're gonna go, chances are you're gonna be able to mess up their combo and you'll be able to break free and in turn do the same to them. So it's a very explosive game. If anything, it's kind of reminds me of Smash 64 because that's kind of how that game was. You had a lot of hits done that pretty much allowed you to combo your opponents pretty easily. But I mean, that's kind of the game in a nutshell. It's just a way faster, I would say, more way more aggressive. Way oh yeah, definitely way more aggressive. You have a block button that, I guess, unlike Smash Brothers, Smash Brothers you have a shield. That shrinks in size with every attack that hits you, and eventually it breaks, and you're, and you're stunned. In this game, that never happens. You just inf- you could infinitely block, and you won't take any damage. But obviously, a grab will be to block. But also, you get pushed significantly every time you get hit. And if you get pushed to the edge, then you go into a teetering mode. That it's basically like you're stunned. But what makes it trickier is that you also can't roll. There is no rolling. There is no spot dodging in the air of any kind. Like so. Defensive options are very limited. You have an air dash, but it's not an air dodge. So you can still get hit out of that. But you could also cancel the air dodge into literally any move. So, yeah, and you can also catch projectiles. All projectiles can be reflected and caught by everybody. So even the the projectile game is very different. Because you can't exactly camp someone. But you can only really reflect them with heavy hits or with, like I said, with throws. So there's still some amount of timing required. It's not like... A branded thing to just like reflect everything but yeah you know it's it's very fun it definitely feels like the beginning of something that has a ton of potential because yeah it's very rough around the edges like i mean you could tell they were working with a low budget there was no voiceover some of the characters looked way more polished than others like yeah some of them just straight up look unfinished like just looking at the way ang from avatar and ren and stimpy animate compared to like spongebob and like say michelangelo or especially cat dog, like yeah, like those characters look like they were put through the ringer as far as like polish, but others maybe not so much. And it looks like they are trying to fix a lot of that post release. I mean, they've definitely been changing a lot post release, because as you might expect with a game with this many weird systems, people have found many many exploits that they did not expect. Like Michelangelo for a while was considered the best character in the game, not because he has like raw talent, but just because he has some cheese. Basically, he could grab you, throw you up, hit you twice, grab you, throw you up, hit you twice, and you can't break out of that no matter what you do. It's really easy to do, and you could just rinse and repeat until they're at a high enough percentage and then kill them. Or he could infinitely jump by spinning in his shell, canceling the jump, canceling that attack with a jump, and then doing it again. And some other characters have stuff like that, but, you know, that kind of stuff has been since been fixed, and things seem to be at a easier or I guess at a more level playing field but yeah I guess besides that that roster is also kind of interesting because it's not characters who I would expect a marketing team and Nickelodeon to make them pick it just kind of feels like it was characters they really wanted to see in there 
Except for maybe the turtles. The turtles are the ones that are, are the weirdest to me. Because, you know, as much of a Ninja Turtle fan that I am, you know, they went with the classic 80s turtles, which predate Nickelodeon. <laughs> like, oh, as an weird. So, so it's not even Rise of the Ninja Turtles or... Uh, yeah, it, it's not the, Rise the or the reboot? 2012 series. Wow. Yeah, the ones that... That's interesting. They're not using the turtles that they created. They're using, like, the oldies ones. Actually, no. And I, you have old... That's yeah. not that weird, now that I think about it. I initially thought, yeah, yeah that's well, weird. It's not, because this game is clearly, from how you're describing it, not targeting kids or Nickelodeon fans. It's targeting Smash fans. Like, if no, you, I know. Yeah, like I, I, I think, I I think it's weird that it's a more complicated everything, but... fighting game. It has a bunch of characters that kids today don't know. Like, obviously, on some level, SpongeBob and whatnot will get some kids, but, like, the marketing around it's been all about, like, it, they're... I mean, the Loud House characters are in there, and none and no one. Yeah, I have no. Like literally, no one knows who those are. I have no idea who they are. No, I I think that. Wait, like who? That Mr. Pajama Man or whatever the hell his name is. Toastman. Yeah, I I have. He was like one of the early Nickelodeon thing, like early, early Nick, like ninety one, ninety two Nick. Yeah, the roster is just all over the place, but I believe. Yeah, he's from like Ren and Stimpy fame. But, um, but yeah, like, the Turtles in general, like, I thought, like, I just thought it was interesting that from a marketing standpoint, I mean, like, Red Ninja Turtles is still going on right now. They have a movie coming out. But, yeah, I mean, like, they obviously picked the Turtles that would make the most older people happy. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to see these new Turtles and be like, oh, they have the Turtles in there, but they're not the ones I wanted. But personally, I would have liked some variety. Like, yeah, the oldies Turtles are great and all, but... I don't know. I would have honestly preferred the 2012 Turtles, but or you know they could give us alternate costumes that it's kind of changed how they look because you know the turtles are all basically the same, except for the rest of the turtles. They definitely can't do that with those because they're all vastly different body shapes. But yeah, and you know they they lean hard into the nostalgia. Like the game is yeah, you know, like Jason said, it's definitely made for the older crowd because. You know, even all the stages that the turtles are based on, they're all the oldies ones. You have the Technodrome, you have Channel 6 News, you have random sewers with Mondo Gecko in the background. And, but besides that, I mean, the character choices are definitely just really interesting, and I would say in a good way. Like, I think Helga was an interesting choice. Nigel has an interesting choice. Helga's in the game? <laughs> yeah. And it's, that's interesting is not the right word. That's an inspired choice. <laughs> Yeah, Rep- Reptar is like the sole Rugrats representative. Then you also have Oblina from Aria Monsters. Zim is in there. This is such like, a yeah. play for the Smash fan. But it's so interesting that someone at Nickelodeon or Game Factory or wherever, the developers are basically like, what if we do not a licensed game for the audience of the channel, but a licensed game for the audience of Smash Bros and their mindset and their era and all that? Like, it's such an interesting... It's so different from every licensed yeah, game out there right now in that regard. It's it's interesting. And like I mentioned earlier, you do have Lincoln Loud and Lucy Loud from a newer show that came out like in the 2018s, 2020s, um, that literally no one will know who they are. Um, I just happened to have seen caught that show a couple times when, I guess after like, when switching between Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network a couple years ago. But, um, but yeah, they, it's just a choice. It's just weird that, um, I hope we get all four turtles in eventually. I wouldn't blame people if they got upset if that happened because right now I think there's only 20 characters and, you know, three of them are 
TMNT representatives, you have Leo, Mikey, and April O'Neil of all characters. I thought they would get like Shredder first or something, but sure, we got news reporter April. Although there has also been a ton of leaks and, you know, people essentially fi- finding like full playable stages and basically like debug versions of characters, which is really unfortunate because these surprises would have been great, but you know, they pretty much found a working Garfield stage. And yeah, Garfield is all but confirmed. I mean, he was purchased by Nickelodeon, I think, in 2019 or 2016, very recently. So he is owned by Nickelodeon. So yeah, he's all but confirmed. And all these Shredder's supposed to be making it in too. And maybe in that instance, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate that James Avery passed away because he did an awesome Shredder voice back in the day. But with no voiceover, I guess that's not really an issue. Although, you know, is it is on PC, planned? so people have already modded voice. Are voices coming too? Do, do we know? They plan to eventually, mm. but, you know, I, I think that's, like, low on the priority. But, I mean, just looking at, like, the list of potential characters that seem like are going to come out, based on the leak, you do have all four turtles. It, it seems like you have a ton of turtle representation. Almost, I feel, a little too much, just for a Nickelodeon game. And that's coming from you, the but, turtle fan. Uh, they're, they're, so, the turtles are the fire emblem for this series. Gotcha. Yeah, they really are. Like it really is like Smash. You got your yeah, overrepresentation. And, and, and that comment weird side pop up in like um, <laughs> yeah, I saw that comment pop up a few times when um April was released. They're just like, damn it, like it's like Fire Emblem all over again. Because like I guess so, so that means April would be the Corrin and everyone else would be the Sword Fighters. Yeah, but you know, apparently we're uh, supposed to get Tommy at some point, and you know, some other Thornberries and whatnot. Apparently even a double dare stage, which That's there cool. is like a working version of it in the game, but we'll see if that actually gets released. Is there a Legends of the cool. Hidden Temple stage? Uh, I think there was like mention of it in the in the code, so that could be interesting if they do that. But yeah, just have yeah. I mean, I'm just surprised that all that they. I'm just surprised that they're having a stage representative of not a cartoon at all. Because in the beginning, it sounded like that's what they were going for. Like, when people were asking them, like, oh, are you going to have a character from, like, I don't know, one of the live-action Nickelodeon shows? And they're like, no, it's just going to be cartoons. But I guess game shows. Well, game shows were such a big part of Nickelodeon's hair, like, early days. Like, Double Dare, Guts, Figure It Out. Like, it was Figure It Out being the best of the three, just saying. But it was, like, a big part of their history. So I could see why they, obviously, they're not going to be like, look, it's Pete from Pete and Pete. It's just a human with a hat but like you know it's throwing ice cream but like it, it makes sense that they might try and do stages yeah i hope they do legends of the hidden temple that's having a renaissance now because it has a cw show i've uh on the uh, voice acting stuff i find it really weird that the devs went on about how nickelodeon was behind them 100 percent, but that they couldn't use their magic to get full voice acting in it that always struck me as a little odd i wonder if it was a budget thing yeah i, I mean it's definitely a budget thing because a lot of these voice actors are very prolific. I mean, Tom Kenny, I'm sure, isn't cheap because, you know, he's like the face of Nickelodeon. Um, what's he got? Eh, I guess the voice actor for Zim, I'm sure, isn't that expensive. I mean, I think he's no, like it, currently it, popping up in a YouTube fan animation thing. Oh, Where I get what you're saying, though, Kevin. You mean why isn't Nickelodeon put the bill on the voice actors that they already yeah. have on contract? Which also, yeah. yeah. So I, I can Maybe understand. you think the game wasn't going to do it that well? Uh, they don't maybe, see it as yeah. like a big blow up. 
Because I, I can, I, I can could, obviously Nickelodeon had a fun sub part of this game, right? Mm-hmm. But like, was the voice acting where it just was like, okay, this is no, we we will not give you the money for the voice acting. I get this weird feeling that Nickelodeon like got a pitch and it's like, you know, sure, here's a couple hundred thousand or whatever. It costs. Have fun, kids. Them, we'll check in later, which... and that was it. Like I, I bet you they came to Nick. Oh, so Nick went around. to them. Oh, no, I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, My gut feeling is no, no, no. That's what it was. Like Nickelodeon went to them. Oh, like they're the ones that got like, like pitched the project. Well, that's even weirder. Though. So probably someone from Nickelodeon, because you know, like Game Mill, whoever published the game already has the license. Like not the one that developed it, because Ludosity I think developed it, but Game Mill, the ones that published it, they already have. The two Nickelodeon kart racing games under their belt, which, you know, is basically just... And the, the Garfield one. Don't forget Garfield racing. And both of those games, um, they also have a wide variety of characters. They also have Rocco, which I'm kind of surprised they didn't make it into this one. Or maybe he's coming. But, yeah, those games also don't have any voiceovers, like, at all. Even though you could play as the, the appropriate 2012 Ninja Turtle Leonardo or SpongeBob or whatever. Like, they're just silent when you're kart racing. So, hmm. I don't know, maybe it is with the budget, maybe it's just... Some weird licensing thing. I mean, I guess it... it yeah, I mean, if you're going to cut something to make development easier, I guess voices is the easiest thing, but it does kind of come off as a little soulless as you're playing in the beginning, but over time, you kind of get used to it, and you kind of don't even really notice those things. It's not, honestly, it could also be a blessing in disguise. I mean, I don't know how many people would really want to hear Spongebob emote like <laughs> every time he punches like just five ah! minutes or le- yeah so you know it depends because like even in smash brothers there are some characters that are just kind of annoying to listen to like bylas anytime she attacks she has well when you're using female bylas she does like this like high pitch like shrill like kind of yell and it comes out so often that it gets like burned into your head like after you're done fighting her that's like all you really remember um yeah, certain characters have stuff like that. And I'm sure Nickelodeon characters would be no different. Just, I mean, I don't know. But there are voice mods if you want to check that out. And there was a voice mod that I saw that didn't sound as bad for Spongebob. And, I don't know, Patrick definitely felt like he was missing it. On oh, that thing of... But uh... I think of her... Oh, go ahead. Oh, that's it. Oh, no, yeah, but no. that was it. Uh, on the thing of uh, characters, that, uh, like, voice lines being stuck, in your head, I used to play Tales of Symphonia with uh, our buddy of ours, Matthew. And there's a character in there that says, Hot stuff coming your way. And it's just <laughs> ingrained in my head. Just hot stuff coming your way. Hot stuff coming your way. Wait, wait, what like was every it? Every 30 seconds. About like early 2000s JRPGs where they always had the voice acting like that. Like that intonation yeah. you just did. You know what I mean? Like it, it subsided a little in recent years, but like there's something about like, this is how they talk in those games. No matter what they're saying, it's talking like this. There's, like there's always going to be game. one character that definitely sounds like that in every RPG. Yeah. Up till the end of time for sure. <laughs> It's such like, a, and which is funny because when I was watching Squid Game, I finally you know watched it after you guys talked it up on Arnon a few weeks ago, months ago now, and I had the English dub at one point, and there's a person in there, one of the actresses, voiceover actresses in that has that exact same intonation. I felt like I was like watching an R- a JRPG or something. It was so bizarre. <laughs> like, did you watch it dubbed? Uh, I did something interesting where it was dubbed, but then we had the translation of the Korean in the subs, so we had like. 
the English talking, but also the original English translation, which at times was completely opposite. But yeah, yeah so it did both. Yeah. Um, initially, we only did dub, and I was like, I feel like this voice acting is not great. Like, I feel like it feels like we're missing things. So we turned on the sub, too. But yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that, that intonation is such like a game thing. <laughs> Side note, by the way, um, Game Mill, having a moment. I mean, Nickel and All-Stars Brawl and Cruise and Blast are both like kind of... I wouldn't say they're in the zeitgeist. They're still small releases. They were but Cruise and Blast as well? They they co-published Cruise and Blast with uh, Raw Thrills. Yeah, they're having a moment wow. right now. Good for them. They've come so far since Garfield Kart. But uh, but Angel, you there's one other game. As if you weren't didn't talk enough about fighting games, very different type of fighting game. But you also have a copy of Gang Beast you've been playing, right? Because now that's on Switch. And waiting for this game for such a long time, patiently waiting. I don't remember where I first played it. Uh, was probably that uh that thing we went to. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the the rooftop indie event, the indie game mix up. Yeah, the mix up, the mix. Mm-hmm. The mix, not the mix-up, yeah. There wasn't... A, no one was confused. It was just a mix of journalists and game and game developers, yes. No mix-ups. Yeah. Well, yeah, cause that game is... It was really fun when I first played it, and I think we played it again later on, I guess, on my brother's PC, but it wasn't, like, the best setup because, you know, you have to bring the tower over to the TV and connect the controllers. It's always super straightforward. So, no, we just really wanted a, a console version on something that we had easy access to with a bunch of controllers and at the time it was a Wii U and I think it was supposed to come to the Wii U I recall that being a thing and I think it just kept getting delayed until it just never happened it never happened right it never I don't think it ever happened yeah correct me if we're wrong I'll, I'll look it up I'm pretty sure that never happened I'm pretty sure it never happened but but yeah I mean eventually heard that it was going to come to the Switch which just, you know, seems like a great fit for it. And sure enough, it was. Um, if, from what I recall, the menus are still identical. Um, text can be a little tiny to read. Um, just because, yeah, big screen and the text is, like, it gives me, um, yeah, it, it's just, it's just kind of hard to read, but not the end of the world. But yeah, the controls are the same. Um, very physics based. Um, wiggly characters, like honestly, just like watching them flail around, it's just like part of the charm and fun. But you know, you got your shoulders, you got your shoulder buttons. Um, pressing each one individually will either throw out a punch if you just tap it, or you know, you could punch, throw both out to punch with both arms. Um, you also have the ability to do a headbutt. You could do a jump, and with the jump, you could do a dive kick if you're skilled enough, because holding down those shoulder buttons with each individual arm will allow you to grab onto things. And typically you'll use that to pick someone up and chuck them off the stage after you knock them out. Because if you land a clean blow to the head, they will go unconscious. And with four people that can get extremely chaotic, there are a good number of times when I know we've literally like knocked each other out simultaneously. And it was just a matter of like who can gain consciousness first, throw the other person off. And yeah, I don't know if it's because of the frame rate or what, but like it just looks hilarious, but it's also just fun to mess around with. Like the controls are like it's like the opposite of controlling Samus, where Samus felt really <laughs> tight and responsive. Yeah. Um the Gang Beast fellows feel loose and 
Like there's like a little delay. Badass, you but will not. But not that it feel. feels like wacky and drunk. You will. <laughs> yeah, because like, and it's not like a delay where it feels like there's lag to it. It just feels like you're really moving that weight around. Like if you pivot and turn directions, like it feels like you have to wait for like the weight to like recenter and then go the other way. But you know, if you practice the grabbing and jumping and releasing, you can literally climb anything pretty high too and pretty quickly. But it is very hard to do. But, you know, the obstacles keep things fresh. There's, like, a level where you're jumping from car to car. There's levels with, like, the, I guess, what the people used to wash and clean windows inside of buildings. There's ones with carousels. There's ones where you're, like, in a meat grinding factory where if you're not careful, you could fall or get thrown into the grinder and just die there. Or another one where giant sausages sausage looking things just kind of fall down through the ground and open a vent and we'll just take you with them and yeah it's really fun to mess around with um it's just yeah i would say it's like a go-to party game it doesn't it's obviously not as competitive and i don't think it's trying to be as something like towerfall where you know i feel like that one is all about the tightness of the controls and the position kind of getting back to like how metroid feels but this one is kind of the opposite this is like the kind of game that i feel you get a lot of mileage out of when everyone's had a few drinks and you're just kind of messing around and just want to just kind of play something that will lighten up the mood without requiring a lot of thinking because you can just kind of button mash hope to knock your opponent unconscious and pick them up and throw them off the stage but just as easily you can also if you want play very defensively and wait for opportune times to attack but yeah, besides that mode, you also have, you know, that's like basically your your king of the hill mode. You also have like teams. You can also play against like waves of CPU opponents as a team and beat them up. And you try to survive as long as possible, which is also kind of neat. But I feel for the most part, most most people will be playing in that free-for-all mode, which, yeah, just kind of happy that it's finally here. Just to hope to play it more. And it's definitely one of those games, like at least when I remember when we played it at the mix, that um like you you embrace the wackiness. Like it's just funny because you like you were saying, you know, you use the shoulder buttons to grab things. And it's just funny when you're trying to hold on for dear life on scaffolding that's falling apart or something and someone's hitting you from below and you're sort of flapping in the wind as this weird like bag of meat, essentially. <laughs> like it it's it's just a ridiculous yeah, experience. Yeah. But it, it, it's fun. Um, it has, you know, I didn't notice until I was, like, looking at because we, full disclosure, we got a review code for it that Angel's been playing. And, um, yeah, I was looking at, like, the, the stuff, and I didn't realize, I, I, I assume they all have it. I never knew it had online play. That's kind of a pleasant surprise. Yeah. At the time when I was, like, playing it, it wasn't available because, right, cause you know. pre-release. <laughs> yeah. But definitely looking forward to checking that out, though. These kinds of games, because like I mentioned, like the controls are meant to be like not super responsive just to kind of add to the wackiness. It's not really the kind of game I feel like I would have a lot of pl- fun playing online. Like it's definitely the kind that you want to play with friends. Mm-hmm. Unless, yeah, maybe playing with friends online. But this is like at, at its peak, something you want to play in person with a group of people. Yeah, like all on one couch, so, like old school I, multiplayer. Yeah, so I don't know. So, you know, good option to have, but personally, like, probably not the way I'm going to be playing it. But, yeah, I mean, it's Gangbeats in a nutshell. It's not that big of a game, but, you know, it's a, it's a fun party game. And it can be yours for $30 on the eShop. 
Yep, just glad that's finally on a Nintendo system. Yep, it is for record a ten dollar premium over where what it costs on other systems, but also you gain the portability and stuff. So you know, it's kind of and it's a new release here versus an old release there. So yeah, you know, but worth noting. Yep. All right, so I guess with that, on to uh, the news. And wow, my voice cracked on the news. And um, I think we're, we're kind of going from beast to animals because the big story since our last episode was the Animal Crossing Direct and all that it entailed, the free updates, the paid updates, that that manatee named Wardell with his little straw hat. Like, there was a lot in there. Um, and fun tidbit, this is actually the closest Direct we're having to the 10-year anniversary mark of Nintendo Directs, which started on October 21st, 2011. So... Just a little piece of Nintendo trivia for you. But for the AC one specifically, for Animal Crossing in particular, um, I'd say, like, I don't know, I thought the sheer amount of context he had my expectations across the board. How, how do you guys feel about, you know, everything they announced? There was a lot of content added. I was just kind of hoping for more quality of life stuff, but there was mm. no quality mm-hmm. of life stuff added. It was just... No, wait, you can now access your storage from outside your home. Uh, that didn't feel good enough. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. I, like, uh, if anything, I don't know. It, it felt like a feature. That felt like something I, that I never needed. Like I want to be able to, you know, like let me craft multiple things at once, or like speed up the building process. Which on one hand, yeah, I'm like makes me appreciate the fact that some people put put up with the process to build something amazing, but just don't got time for that. And, you know, our time with the surface limited and all that. And, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a shame. Actually, there's another quality of life with the mentioned, the ordinances. Being able to shift to address your point, being able to shift when okay, you're, that when is you're a, island's right, active. I'll, I'll give them that. Yeah. That is the next yeah, thing which I mean, it's, it's finally from brought right over from New Leaf, but still it's kind of nice. I mean, and so I guess there's nothing that's going to make you necessarily jump back in or, Kevin, in your case, maybe get into Animal Crossing in the first place because you've never really played it. Right? Yeah, absolutely not. Nope. Yeah, and and Angel, I assume you're not jumping back off this. Um, maybe, but probably not too much. I think, yeah, I think on some level, I was kind of like, oh, okay, like it was a lot, like literally a lot. But what I found kind of interesting was just the way it mixed and matched ideas from past Animal Crossings to kind of like a best of feeling, but the way it did it, that didn't actually like fully bring over the idea like let me explain what i mean i think like for a while now there's been this thought that new horizon was kind of like a soft reset for the franchise right like i know we definitely discussed that that possibility like in the game's peak last summer you know how it added new stuff like crafting in the island but in terms of progression expansion of your i guess town now island you know is a bit simplified there's only one level of nook shop there's certain shops and characters that were mia interactions with villagers were a bit more limited you know, to encourage customization over socialization, et cetera, et cetera. You know, stuff like quality. There were quality life improvements that could be done, but it felt very, like, first pass at it, like you're saying. And they slowly kind of reintroduced some stuff over the past updates, but I feel like 2.0 is now giving a lot of that back, but in kind of this clever way where it's doing it without changing or without introducing any new mechanics, per se. And granted, not everything's back. You know, even stuff like Nook shop upgrades, which a lot of fans wanted, that's still not a thing and will never be a thing because this is the final update but um but it's this idea that they're able to add all this without actually changing anything which i think is why like kevin you're like nope still not interested in angel you're barely gonna do it is like 
outside of maybe those motion control group exercises you can do with your Islanders, which is a neat throwback to the very first Animal Crossing's morning workouts. Like, there's nothing actually fundamentally different in what they're providing. We're, they're retrofitting all these past Animal Crossing ideas into existing gameplay mechanics, meaning that, you know, in the future, should they release a full-fledged sequel, they can still embellish on these ideas and make them feel quote-unquote new again, just like how they did with New Super Mario Brothers and its sequel. And what I'm getting at is, like, there's a couple examples I can give you. Uh, one is probably Cap'n. He used to take you to Minigame Island, a minigame island, yeah, which, you know, I had tropical... I thought we were going to get it. Yeah, and they, it, sure. like, it had tropical fruits, and now they have flowers, so that's okay, kind of interchangeable. But more importantly, it was home to all those multiplayer competitions. And for New Horizons, he just takes you to islands, like, similar to flying to a mystery island, except here, the seasons may be different, and the time of day may be different. And again, there's those flowers now that are new. And I mean, I get it, half the appeal of Cap'n is his quirkiness and his sea shanties and everything, which are making the cut, but in terms of, like, gameplay changers it's not really there they're just remixing existing elements similarly you know if you look at like the roost like a lot of people are happy at Brewster back it's grazed there and his new gameplay hook it used to be that's where KK lived or visited but his new gameplay hook is oh you can bring in amiibo but that amiibo like villager summoning is exactly what already existed except instead of having someone come to your town and live there you're having them come by and have a chat or like the gyroids, honestly. I'm, I'm, I love the fact that gyroids are back. I think they're one of the fun, more, more fun collectibles in Animal Crossing. They're super weird and quirky and make those funny noises. But like really, all Nintendo did by bringing it back is like, here's a new set of items, complete with the color customization, which for gyroids I think is new. But for everything else in the game, you know, that's just another item to collect. Um, another good example is probably how they retrofitted uh, Harvey's Island into what amounts to the town square from City Folk, which again, really cool. They're bringing back that concept. You know, it gives you the flexibility to see various visiting NPCs on your own terms. You know, some of them are new. Uh, but Harriet's haircuts, we already have haircuts. There's just 11 more of them. Tortimer, besides being alive, which is nice, like he's just an expanded storage system that already exists, just another point of entry. Uh, the biggest addition may be Reese and Cyrus, who now customize furniture. But even that's just introducing new patterns and textures to existing, you know, options. Like there's really nothing quote-unquote new in the free update it's all kind of these past ideas squeezed into the structure and framework of the current game which isn't bad per se like i think it's actually a really great varied update and if you you know combine that stuff with the dozen or so new villagers the reintroduction of how villagers can now like visit your home the uh ordinances we mentioned the storage options we mentioned the accent wall color you know the the daily newspaper and the switch online app where now kind of like with pocket camp with its monthly newsletter they'll have whatever isabel's gonna tell you presumably when you log into the game now kind of summarize in the app for you like the new photo camera angle like all that stuff the diy cooking which you know ultimately i think ultimately it's just another set of items right you craft a new type of item veggies and you yeah, turn into you a new set of finished products yeah. yeah so it's all yeah. there and it's all a lot and it's cool if you're into Animal Crossing, but there's nothing there that changes anything you do gameplay-wise inside the game. It's all, like, flourishes on existing systems, if that makes sense. And and they, and the fact that they're able to do all that without changing any underlying gameplay whatsoever is kind of impressive. I mean, the fact that they add convenience, they add variety, they may get some people back into it, but they're not, like... They're, they're basically leaving the door open for future gameplay augmentations. Like, not enhancements like these are, but like actual changes to gameplay 
and they're saving all that for a premium offering. So I feel like even though they sort of gave us so much back, they did it in such a way that still feels like this is kind of a soft reset of the franchise, which is a very interesting line to walk. I'm kind of impressed that they were able, they were able to walk it that well, but or not well if you're expecting more. But uh, yeah, it seems like the premium offerings are going to be where the meat and potatoes are for Animal Crossing's expansion and growth. Case in point, Happy Home Paradise, which when they announced this update, you know, we knew there was free stuff. I don't think anyone expected them necessarily have a paid DLC update, let alone one this big. But if, you know, New Horizons 2.0 is leaning on combining the best of past entries, making a straight up sequel to the 3DS's Happy Home Designers DLC is actually kind of a smart play. Like, I mean, did you guys ever play Happy Home Designer or know much about it? I do know about it, but no, I never played it because it was like, that's not what I really want to play any kind of Animal Crossing for. Mm-hmm. So I like everything around that more. Right. Decorating and... is fun and all, but, but yeah, just, yeah that's, that's it, it, it wasn't for it. me. <laughs> yeah, that's, I know. Mean, I'm Kevin. And Kevin, I assume you never even dabbled because you don't do Animal Crossing. So why would you do just a piece of it? Nope. Yep. Because um, the, the thing for me, it's similar to you, Angel, with Happy Home Designer. Like, I never necessarily played Animal Crossing because I love to sit there and redo my house. Like, if anything, I only expanded or improved the layout of my home because of the items or progress that happened outside the customization process. You know, like getting a gift from a villager, spending to expand Nook Shop, what have you. Um, and sure, there, there'd be some stuff that like, oh, I want to put that in my home and display, but like, I wasn't that invested in that aspect of the game. So Happy Home Designer was missing kind of that crucial piece for me, which I guess selfishly is how does it relate back to me? Like, I could be altruistic, I guess, and help people design their dream homes, whatever. And there's perhaps some intrinsic fun in the sort of open-ended puzzle solving of getting the highest home rating on this home you're building to spec for another character. But it felt like the gameplay loop wasn't fully closed. Like, you couldn't send anything back you did to your own villager in your own New Leaf at the time. I think the game only communicated with um, Amiibo Festival, and all it did was throw one of your custom homes in the back of one of the game boards, if I remember correctly. So it was, like, really, like, you did it, it was isolated in that spot, all the stuff you unlock was kind of in that spot. It didn't feel like it connected to the broader experience. And I'll admit, like, with New Horizons... I sort of changed my perspective a bit on how much I care about customization, probably because the series itself sort of sh- subtly shifted towards the direction of customization being more crucial. Um, like, I'm into some of those mechanics now, but what really got me to be like, oh, Happy Home might be interesting as a concept is that in this second round as DLC, because it's DLC, they finished the gameplay loop. It connects back. Like, as you work your way through Paradise and earn your separate currency, I think it's called like Pokey or something like that, Downlocks more unique furniture, more customization options like partition walls and whatnot, the ability to do lighting, the ability to do soundscapes, and all that is able to come back with you into the core New Horizons to use in your own home, around your island, outdoors, you know, whatever you want, really. And these are items that can, like, significantly change how you theme your island, what you do on your island. And as such, like, it's impacting the core game. And... You know, and the fact that it's integrated as DLC, so you just go to the airport and choose to visit the Acapulco uh, where these paradise islands are, and, you know, you're still your character with your look and your connection to the main game, and it just, like, Paradise is like the missing puzzle piece that completes everything else in the 2.0 update, in my mind. It's like that meaty new gameplay element that the other stuff wasn't. And granted, it's behind a premium wall of sorts, but it, it feels like the the whole picture. And that's cool if you're willing to pay the price for it which is kind of the hot question, right? Like, I think 
if there's one thing that became a flashpoint from the Animal Crossing Direct outside of a bunch of fans freaking out that the froggy chair is back, which I guess is good for them, uh, it was differences of opinion on the value of everything. So to sort of set the stage here, there are two ways to get the Happy Home Paradise DLC. You can pay 25 bucks and have it be downloaded for yours to keep like any other DLC, or you can receive it as part of the upcoming Switch Online Plus Expansion Pack subscription, which also comes with the N64 and Genesis games uh, that Nintendo, you know, announced a little while back. But if you choose that latter option, if you do it as part of the uh, expansion pack, we now know it will be a yearly charge of $50 as an individual or $80 for a family plan that supports up to eight people. Those have been a hot topic. How do you guys feel about that pricing scheme? Uh, Initially, I was like, hmm, I don't really see the value quite yet just because I'm still kind of comparing it to what we used to get for free. Maybe not the best thing to do, but yeah, because I mean, yeah, 64 games. I mean, they do have online, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. It definitely feels like something that will get more valuable time. Though, that being said, even though I'm not the most hyped for the Animal Crossing DLC, the fact that it was lumped in there caught me by surprise and almost gave it like a, oh, this has the potential to have a lot of value because for the most part, we will still buy most of the flagship Nintendo games which will most likely get DLC that will be lumped in here. Like, I can't see... Presumably. That's the thing. Like, Octo expansion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, if the next Octo expansion equivalent comes to the service, which feels like it would, because it kind of... Splatoon always seems to be getting DLC, and it seems Mm -hmm. like something that would fit there nicely if it's in that price range, then, yeah, this is fine. I mean, it also helps that I'm also on the family plan with, like, eight of the... with seven of the people, so my price went from, like, five bucks to ten bucks. Versus 20 to per year. 50. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Can't really complain. Kevin, do you think you're going to make the jump to expansion pack? Like, is there enough there for you? Uh, God, no. What a terrible <laughs> value for those people that, A, don't already have um, Animal Crossing, mm-hmm. and B, even the... Even if they didn't include Animal Crossing, the Animal Crossing DLC in this for like everybody, it's I don't see how anybody can defend playing N sixty four games for thirty dollars extra a month. Like I don't understand what they were thinking with this pricing guide. I thought like at most ten, fifteen dollars would be stretching it, but actually doubling the amount of money that I thought it was going to be is like. Holy hell, what oh baby more Nintendo, than what is you doing? Like more come on. <laughs> more than doubling to be fair. Double and a half. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's the I, I know maybe it was they know that Animal Crossing sold a ton. So they're like, yeah. Oh yeah, people for five extra dollars you're gonna get all these uh Genesis games and these N sixty four games. That'll that'll make everybody happy, but like I said, to me it's like Man, what a terrible value proposition. And uh, something that else I thought about was like, what if you don't get the expansion pack? Do you just lose access to the DLC? Uh, sort of. So like, what they've confirmed is with the expansion pack, or with the DLC, if you do the expansion pack, you don't get to go back to the islands, the Paradise Islands, and see your customized homes. But anything you unlocked in Paradise you, that you brought back to your main game and your main island will stay with you. So you can't see, you know, the things you did over there, but anything you that did over there that affected over really here, you sucks. keep. It's, it's interesting because, really like, sucks. 
I think I honestly think where Nintendo flubbed a bit here is like the value being perceived by the core fans because like it does suck in a way. But if you look at it as someone that's more casually dabbling, like you know, like I kind of see where Nintendo's coming from because like games as services constantly change their content model now. Like you still have you know a mode and then suddenly you don't have a mode or you have a thing and then you know stuff comes and goes all of which i mr old man who yells at clouds and hates change like i from a preservation standpoint like the pitfalls of that suck but i get the idea kind of that you can have access to a side part of a game and it goes away after a period of time like they did with weddings in animal crossing with the maze island with in-game events this is kind of an expansion on that in a way that games as services kind of already do so if you're coming from a different perspective like maybe being a lapsed person or someone you know you know you know you're not gonna play it for multiple years like you played animal crossing you it kind of fell to the wayside maybe you'll jump back in maybe you just play a bunch of games where already this sort of thing happens it kind of feels less it doesn't sting as much maybe but because it's dlc and because it's available in like a premium uh purchasable you keep it forever manner if you choose to do it that way that makes it feel weird you know like it it, so for some folks, it's probably not seen as like a $50 fee to get a year of online and like this Animal Crossing content and then on the sides this neat N64 Genesis game. For them, it's like, oh, I'm buying this DLC that I don't get to keep and I'm overpaying for this N64 game and then I'm still having to pay for my Switch online. So like it's just – it's like it's like the framing almost. Like, And I think that's where Nintendo Flub is they didn't appropriately ac- account for every – audience that will be impacted by this yeah irregardless take away the animal crossing i jesus you have to be a super ultra nintendo fan to justify dropping down 30 dollars more for n64 games and genesis games although what's funny is i i guarantee you like nintendo did the cost benefit analysis and they know exactly how many fans are gonna be like oh i hate this and then still pull the trigger like i'm seeing you're like oh like it's a flub i'm still it comes out by the time most people listen to this it's out it's out the 25th that's monday uh i'm probably gonna be buying it and the the animal crossing dlc isn't even available yet like the fleeting dlc isn't even there to fleet it's still like not out yet but i'm still gonna be buying like so they probably know that there's a subset that'll be mad and upset, but there's a bunch that won't. The question is, is did they misjudge how big those groups are? And I think that's what we have to kind of wait and see. Because I guarantee, because I saw so many people on Twitter, like our Nintendo fans I follow, and they're just like, oh, this is awful. And then like two minutes later, yeah, I'm still getting it. So it's, it's yeah. You guys are pro- part of the problem, but. We are. You know what? And I mean. It's your money. Enjoy, enjoy it. It's just not going to be for me. I'm I'm not right. dropping $30 which is fair. To, it's, to I this. think yeah. the one savvy thing they did was they made it a separate purchase. They didn't like upcharge all the online functionality. Yeah, they didn't just force it, force it on yeah. you. Yeah. And I think, I think to the cost benefit analysis thing, I think like there is a method to Nintendo's madness here because I'm sure they've looked at the subsets of Switch audiences and there's a huge crowd that this is going to be printing money for, for Nintendo. Um, like, let me bust out some numbers real quick because I, I, I wrote these all down because I was like, okay, there, there's some logic here for them. Not for us necessarily, for them. Like, because as we know, as you said, Kevin, Animal Crossing, you know, New Horizons has sold a ton of copies, just shy of, I think it was 34 million as of Nintendo's last financial report. And with that came a ton of Switches. And some of those people may still play daily. Some may have a lot of other games, but I would bet you there's a decent chunk of those people, even if perhaps still using their Switches from time to time, who didn't keep those Switch Online subscriptions going from the peak of the pandemic. Like, we know as of June... The total subscriber count for the service was 26 million, I think. 
Uh, let me, yeah, 26 million. Okay, need to check my notes. Uh, even So even if we make the incorrect overestimation that everyone who's paying for Switch Online also bought Animal Crossing, that's at minimum 8 million people who aren't subscribers that maybe this could appeal to. We also know that there continue to be new people entering into the world of Animal Crossing. Like if you look at Nintendo's financials, uh, this past quarter is another 1.26 million copies sold, which obviously isn't the tens of millions we saw in a quarter during the peak of Animal Crossing, but still a million seller every single quarter. I mean, for as long as I can remember, um, I think literally every month since it's been released, Animal Crossing has been sitting in the top 20 of North American game sales, with Switch being in the top hardware spot. Even this past month, actually, interestingly, MPD put out their September numbers last week. And it was the first time in 33 straight months that the Switch wasn't the top-selling hardware, which is something I could wax on about in a whole nother conversation about the reasons for, you know, waiting for the OLED model, PS5 inventory picking up, bigger releases happening on other consoles. I mean, this was the first time that I could recall that there wasn't a single Switch exclusive in the top 10 chart overall, never mind, you know, Switch not being number one. But, you know, it was still sitting pretty in the top 20 was Animal Crossing. It was at spot number 18. That was only three spots behind a new release, WarioWare Get It Together, and WarioWare Get It Together was the strongest debut of any entry in the series since the Wii Smooth Moves. It's like it's still, even, you know, on the lower half of the top 20, still bringing in a ton of money and a ton of new players that this could maybe appeal to. And then historically, we also know that um, Animal Crossing numbers are going to go up going into the holiday because the 2.0 update is going to give the game a push for sure. Most notably, like the DLC, we've seen this playbook before where if they put a big content update out, it boosts the game. Pokemon Sword and Shield is like the go-to example. The expansion pass came out a year after the game last holiday, and it boosted sales of the game nearly double from its previous quarter, and it became a million seller again. And, you know, Pokemon was in a much lower position pre-DLC than Animal Crossing now is. So besides me sneaking in a Jason Sales Corner here, which I'm very proud I managed to shove in there, uh, what I'm getting at here is that like <laughs> don't think the- that we didn't catch you. Oh, I know, I, I, yeah, I just didn't announce it up front, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, what I'm getting at here is that all these audiences, this kind of almost makes sense for the exact reason that you guys were saying, where it's like, oh, it's five dollars more than if I was just getting the DLC and renewing my Switch Online subscription. Like you have folks who are coming back to Animal Crossing, but they let the subscription lapse. You have folks who continuing to buy the game as day clip and maybe now our first gang online you have folks who are gonna be buying it this holiday and maybe first gang online and for all those literally millions of people potentially it is actually a really good deal because you get the dlc you wanted you get the subscription to play online with your friends and then for five bucks more you have all these 90s games and while we're here in the peak of 90s nostalgia in our culture right now so like it makes sense from that perspective it's just like we were kind of saying for the fans who have half of this already maybe it's a bit more of a flub and I don't know like I I think what it is in part is also that for us because we understand how DLC works it's weird like this year it's a good deal right like year one $25 plus $20 plus a bonus five for all those games that makes sense but when you get to year two and you're paying $25 again for DLC because right now we don't know if Nintendo's gonna add more uh, DLC in the future if it's just Animal Crossing then there's maybe a losing uh, proposition there. Then it gets a little weird. And I think it's that value, weighing that value, and Nintendo not being forthcoming about what that value will become that is maybe partly the pitfall. Like, I don't know if I even entirely blame Nintendo for how the value is being perceived. I do think a large portion of it is on them because, you know, we Switch Online grew into something because they had Tetris 99, Mario 35, Pac-Man 99, the physical controllers you can get, 
those ever-increasing uh, free game trial weeks where they just did uh, Jackbox Party Pack 8 here in the U.S. like last week, and I think Japan had like World Ends With You or something. But they're, they're doing more than they did day one. So the $20 that we're paying now does get you a decent clip more. Maybe it's missing some key functionality, but it got you definitely more now than it did when we all subscribed year one. Theoretically, like Angel, you were saying, theoretically, they could be adding more DLC and we could kind of grow into the $50. Or maybe uh, one of our friends on Twitter had a great idea of like take Wii Sports Club from the Wii U, drop the in-game purchases, make it part of expansion pack only. There's another, you know, kind of cool way to justify the cost. But since Nintendo isn't saying anything and they're, they're launching it like Monday, it's kind of it's kind of hard to say. And I think that hurts their perceived, you know, their the value proposition they're presenting. But I think even to your point kind of about like from my perspective anyway about like oh, N64 games aren't worth the price. There's also on some level this this thing happening, and I don't know how I necessarily feel about it, where there's a this gaming in general seems to have this thought that if something is old, it's worth significantly less. And on some level, yes, it's emulated. They didn't build it from scratch. They did some net code, okay, to get you know four player working online. They they in Europe they got up to sixty hertz after PAL's notorious fifty hertz. So cool for Europeans. There's you know licensing that we shouldn't have to worry about. Like Sega Genesis games apparently are quite a pretty penny, both for the, first and third party um that's according to insiders like emily rogers saying nintendo like sega was unhappy with how the virtual console was in terms of the revenue share they demanded a lot more that's also feeding into the price now that's necessarily our concern but the idea that these games are so big or so you know these games have hours of gameplay It, it the idea that like as and this is a gaming thing in general the idea that as a game gets older it automatically just loses value because some people have played it. Like, it, Mario 64 is still Mario 64. It's still big. Ocarina is still Ocarina. It's still big. But because it's been out for X number of years, it has to lose X no- amount of dollar value. Like, these things were 50 or 60 bucks back in the day. Now you're getting all of them together for 30 If you sold that as a compilation, that would seem like a good deal. But because it's now, like, older even, it comes off as cheap. Or not cheap, expensive, when it should be cheap. It's, I don't know, it's like this weird... I don't get it. Like, I feel like movies don't go through this in the same way. Like, you could release a Criterion collection and it'd be priced premium even if the movie's, like, 20 years old and people don't really bat an eye and they didn't change the movie. They just gave it a nicer box. So, I don't know. It's a weird gaming thing, but I think that's partly what's going on here because it's, like, 30 games, but... So, technically, that's a dollar a game for the price jump, and yet it feels not of value, you know? It's, it's a weird thing. And this isn't exclusive to Switch Online either. Like, I'm talking about things like what happened with Grand Theft Auto, the trilogy, this past week. So we got our first real details and footage on Friday. And while a lot of people seemed on board, there was a group being like, ah, this is $60. That's way too much. Which, like, okay. If you look at it from a perspective of you can get it for free on Xbox Game Pass and PlayStation now, yes. It is kind of asking a lot for $60. But it's literally free right over there. But if you're talking about the idea of like wanting to own a physical copy or having it on Switch in any capacity. Is $60 that much for three massive GTAs with a ton of content, updated visuals, new controls from GTA 5 for aiming, and on Switch in particular, gyro aiming and touchscreen map interaction? Like it seems like $20 for each of those three is totally reasonable, but a bunch of people are like, oh, they're old. It should be like $20 total. Like am I missing something here? It just doesn't make sense to me. It's still a lot of content. Nope, you are absolutely right. That is way more the the well, um, 
the yield to buck ratio in terms of game here <laughs> is insane. You have Beautiful callback. three Beautiful. of the most critically acclaimed uh, uh, open world games of all time, uh, influential of all time. They're like you said, all the all the updates. No, sixty dollars is is actually cheaper than they actually should be selling it at. If to be perfectly honest. Yeah, right? And I just feel like, obviously, the N64 games in an online subscription are a different ball game to some degree. But I feel like the mentality that drives people to think that GTA is a ripoff further fuels stuff like the Switch Online price hike being so controversial. Because there's a lot in there, especially when you think about that you now have all these games you can play online for the first time ever. Like, it just okay, seems... Maybe I was I don't a little know. bit hyperbolic with uh, they should spend... They should charge more than $60, but $60 is an absolutely <laughs> fair price. Right, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Let yeah. me just... Uh, Go back on my word there. I'm picturing you like, yeah, I mean, it should be easily 150 per, per package. They should upsell it. Yeah, no, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like gaming in general has this thing. And that, I think, is a lot of what drove the general, like, knee-jerk to Switch Online's price site. Because, I mean, Kevin, you had legit reasons. You don't care about Animal Crossing. You know, maybe those games aren't appealing to you specifically, like the N64 ones. But, like, in terms of yum to buck, like, you get a lot of stuff at that price on, like, raw hours of gameplay. There's a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, people... And, like, just speaking to one of the games, people love San Andreas. Absolutely love San Andreas. And updated San Andreas, you know, it's not a full uh, top-to-bottom remake, but the the changes there are enough to warrant San Andreas being a $30 purchase, in my opinion, by itself. And the fact that you're getting three games for $60, so $20 a pop, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Like, it, I don't get, like, I don't know. I mean, well, let me ask you this. It, knowing what we now know about the GTA collection, because we talked about it when it was first announced, and we're, we're all kind of like, mm, maybe. Like, is there enough new to actually get you to, like, double dip? I'm sorry, it's for me to double dip? Yeah, because you, you played all these before, right? The old GTAs? Uh, I played, yeah, I played them, but I, like, the Grand Theft Auto games aren't necessarily for me, so I'm not going to purchase this. I, yeah. I think that there's more than enough for other people to absolutely double dip. Uh, the... GTA's three, what what is Vice City, San Andreas, and four, always handled like absolute crap, and just having like updated controls, fantastic. So, I like yeah that. Uh, I I guess I understand some of the frustration because, like you said, the, these are all old games, and yeah, they probably can run on one of the new iPads without a problem, and so. I think that's maybe why people see this and they say, if it can run on an iPad, the game should be like $5. Which is, like, yeah, and that was so, the race to the bottom that the App Store caused that now is like, this is like the ripple effect. Because like, in terms of, even on the App Store, like, those games are more than, you know, they give you a lot of yum to buck. There's a lot of content in some of those games, and yet it's 5 bucks. So now anything, you know, that was valued, like, N64 games were literally $55, $60 back in the day. So now getting all of them at 50 seems absurd because you can get, like, a crazy, like, lengthy game on your iPhone for, like, a dollar. And on some level, you know, obviously people need to compete with that. But also, like, man, the industry screwed itself over by doing that, you know? Like, they really, that was very short-sighted. Because now the overall perceived value of everything has just dropped like a rock. And it's good, in a way, it's good for us because that means things generally should be and are cheaper. But, like, for an industry, like when they try and keep the value somewhat relatable to what they once were, or, you know, in the case of GTA, triple your value, it's still too much, which is just 
crazy. I mean, it's it's the same deal that happened with the remakes for um, Advance Wars, which, like, funny enough, the day they announced GTA is coming in three weeks on November 7th or or November 11th or December 7th, if you want physical, Nintendo also announced that this other compilation of old games that people are like, oh, the price is being delayed. So it's not coming December 3rd anymore. It's now coming spring, whatever that means. But it's, it was the same deal because, like, do you remember back in the GBA days? Like, Game Boy Advance games were $35. So literally, just by bringing over Advance Wars 1 plus 2 together in one compilation, it is $10 cheaper for the exact same amount of content as it was back then. But I remember when it was announced, people were like, oh, this doesn't look different enough. The scenarios are the same. Like, okay, they add online, but like, it's the same game. They're charging a full price. Like, why isn't it 40 or 50 It's like, literally, it is a $10 savings if you would have bought them by yourself or by themselves individually on a different system. Like, it's just so strange to me how people do that. I don't know. I feel like I'm just ranting, but I don't know. <laughs> um, I will say, though, I, this is the first time Nintendo's delayed a hard-dated game in a long time, since, like, Tropical Freeze, maybe? Like, I, you know, they, they will give vague dates. They'll say, like, 2022, okay, never mind, 2023. But they don't usually go December 3rd, just kidding, see you anytime from March 20th to June 21st of next year. Like, that's a big delay, in a way, for Nintendo to do. Um... But it is weird because I'm actually kind of, like, glad. Like, I'd, I'd rather have the game sooner, but I don't know how you guys feel about this, but, like, I feel like since this is them reviving an old IP and sort of testing the waters to see if it has a future, like, the fact that they want to give it the extra time gives me confidence that they want to turn Advance Wars into something bigger. Like, because, you know, it, it even I 3 like, looking at the, the trailer, it looked a little rough around the edges and not bad. Like, I have faith in WayForward to pull it off. Just, like, it could use some more time in the oven. So Nintendo choosing to do that and, as they called it, fine-tune it versus just trying to get it out for the holidays, It yeah, it seems like they're trying to make Advance Wars into something again, which is really cool as a fan of the series. So I actually don't mind this delay whatsoever. And if you need a Nintendo game on December 3rd, Big Brain Academy is still coming out that day. But, um, yeah, it's just... I don't know. It's, it's, it's just weird, again, another game where people are like, oh, it's not worth it when it seems to totally be. I don't know. It's either either they delayed it because they're fixing it, or they delayed it because um, they're remaking every aspect of Advance Wars, right down to the fact that the last minute the original one was delayed everywhere outside the U.S. I don't know if you remember this, guys, but Advance Wars came out on 9/11 in the U.S. in 2001, and then right when it came out, Nintendo's like, "Oh, this is awkward," so they delayed the international launches because a war game right after 9/11 was a little dicey. So now they're just. I guess recreating that disappointment with the remake. They're remaking the disappointment of the game being delayed. Um, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on anything else. But that's all I've got about this. Uh, about unfortunately, everything. not too much since Advanced Wars. It wasn't really for me. Um, so mm. I just saw this remake. I was like, oh, that's cool for the fans. So, you know, no harm, no foul on my end. And, you know, like I always say, delays are always welcome. Gives you more time to catch up on other stuff. But, that's true yeah. and, it, and like I said it's not even like Nintendo doesn't have a release in December they still on that same day a Big Brain Academy so if you need a fixing for I think it's not like it's December, for the best it, it, in a way it might be yeah um, but yeah I think I think we're just about out of topics I mean f- first of all there's no way to segue out of a 9-11 reference <laughs> so and secondly um, I feel like every few episodes that we talk about Grand Theft Auto it's always within the last couple topics of the episode so since we already evoked Grand Theft Auto and 9-11, I don't know where we go from here. I think we're done. Is Jesus there anything else you guys want to, is there anything you guys wanted to talk about? 
Uh, no, I think we are all Gucci on this front. Yeah, okay. Um, so in that case, I guess we'll be back in two weeks' time on November 7th with some more games and news and thoughts to share with you guys. Uh, I know I at least plan to talk about Tetris Effect, which is gorgeous on the Switch OLED screen, but we'll save that for then. But, um, you know, see what else we have cooking. You have to tune in. Uh, Mario and make Party, sure... baby. Does Mario Party come out Oh, yeah, days? that's right. It's out this Friday. So, yeah, I guess we'll have Mario Party as well. We can all play it we, online and We have to do our drunk Mario Party at some point, dude. Yeah. Oh, dude, to. those rules. Those rules. You're going to have to – next time somebody talk about Mario Party, we need to walk through what your rules entail because it's madness. Yeah. I've had these rules saved on my iPhone for the last years. five years, I think. Yeah. So we'll, we'll put it to the test and share our impressions and hopefully be not hungover when we have to talk about it. But, yeah, it's it's intense. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. And to make sure you don't miss that, subscribe to us on all the podcast apps, whichever you use, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pandora, Spotify, Amazon Music. We're uh, on YouTube, RamNintendo.com is the channel name. We're also on Twitter at RamNintendo. You can follow us there to make sure you don't miss it. And if you keep your eyes and ears peeled, you will also catch our next, hopefully our next, uh, Random Nintendo, which is our show for everything not Nintendo. Uh, I'm hoping back in action next weekend, but we'll, well, I guess we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of content coming everyone's way, um, and that's how you can make sure you don't miss it. It could follow us individually too. I'm JSR7, Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O, Kevin is KVN Gomi. Um, I think that's all the housekeeping. So, Kevin, final word? I was going to do something very appropriate, so let's just end it there.